We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So that'd be my same message to, to our great fans. Our great city is just be you. Um, the reputation of being able having to come into Philadelphia and play um, is the reputation that we have because it is that it's intimidating and it's loud and it's um and it's hype and 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 they are they're passionate fans we got great passionate fans and so you know be who you've been for your entire the entire time the eagles have been here well there you go nick sirianni talking to well you're talking to reporters but really talking to the fans about what he expects and hopes to see tomorrow as the Eagles play the San Francisco Niners for the NFC Championship game, the right to go to the Super Bowl. Good morning, everybody. Along with my pal Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Now, we are at the Philadelphia Auto Show. Now through February 5th, over 30 indoor vehicles to mention. Uh, I can't read this. It's too small. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lots of cars, me. Glenn. Lots of cars. It. Over 30 indoor vehicles in motion. That's it. At Camp Jeep and for the first time ever, the Ram truck. An indoor off-road experience. We'll tell you a lot more as we go on. Hey, Mike Sielski, how are you? I'm doing great, Glenn. I hear there's a football game tomorrow. Oh, I could not be more excited. Uh, this town is a buzz, as we haven't seen since 2018. It's been five years, uh, and I think, you know, to me, this is the best time of the year in Philadelphia sports. When the Eagles make a run, as great as October can be, as exciting as it can be for the people around here who love Philadelphia sports and we all saw what happened when the Phillies got to the World Series. I don't think there's anything better than the build-up six days before a gigantic Eagles game, and that's what we have here. Well, and in football, it's one and done. Exactly. Right? And the seventh game of the World Series would be something. The last game of the playoffs, this is it, one and done. Chance to go to the Super Bowl. Great show today. Now through 1 o'clock, we're going to check in with Derek Gunn at 11. We're going to talk to our pal Ray Dinger at noon. Mike? The two smartest football guys in town. You can't beat that. Be be educated, I think, at 11 and noon. And entertained. All right. So we're going to start the show, by the way, 215-592-9494. Love to hear from you today. And we're going to start kind of with our keys to the game. But actually, even before that, a little news from yesterday. Mm -hmm. Avante Maddox. Yesterday, full participant in practice. No injury status listed. He's going to play tomorrow. What do you expect? Well, I expect it to help the Eagles' defense tremendously. Uh, I saw a little bit of him at practice on Thursday. He was moving well with the other cornerbacks during kind of the early individual drills of practice before they got down and and did the the full-bore team practice. 
uh, it helps incredibly for them on the back end, right? The 49ers, we know what kind of skill position talent they have, whether you're talking about a guy like Debo Samuel, whether you're talking about somebody in the middle of the field like George Kittle in a tight end. And Maddox's presence allows the Eagles to be able to cover those guys on the outside and particularly in the middle of the field much better than they otherwise would have. It is an amazing thing right now that the Eagles, all 22 starters are healthy to play tomorrow. I mean, you know, Lane Johnson, healthy might not be the right word, but all 22 of the starters are going to play tomorrow. You don't see that this time of year in the NFL. It puts them in a great spot. It does. It absolutely does. And, And it gives them an advantage heading into this game because we're unsure about the health status of at least a couple of the 49ers' key players, including Christian McCaffrey, who might pound for pound and all around be the best offensive player in the NFL. All right, so let's go with what we see as keys to the game. Again, we'd love to hear from you. 215-592-9494. I'm going to go first, and I'm okay. going to give the obvious one because Nick put it out there. It's the crowd, and the players talk about this all the time. Debo Samuel felt compelled to say this week that the fans in San Francisco are just as loud. Ah! <laughs> he knows that isn't true. He has to say it. Look, I know this kind of thing can become exaggerated and cliche, um, but there are times when it matters. Ron Jaworski still talks about mm-hmm. the NFL title game in January 81 against the Cowboys where they could not hear each other in the huddle with a rookie quarterback, Brock Purdy, who has played six home games and road games in Seattle. Good crowd, but there was a 500 team with a tough schedule and, and Las Vegas, which is not a crowd. He's going to be tested for the first time, and it's going to be nothing like he's seen. We we were there last week against the Giants. These people, you were in the stadium. Mm-hmm. They stood and they screamed from the opening kickoff until Daniel Jones mercifully was let go. It may sound like pandering, but I think it's true. I think the crowd is huge tomorrow. I, I think it's a factor, and here's why I think it's a factor, Glenn. You, you touched on it, which is Purdy and his inexperience. In, in the instances in Eagles history, I, I think – where we've seen an opponent overcome a raucous home crowd, either at Veterans Stadium or at Lincoln Financial Field, it's been generally with a veteran team and a veteran quarterback, okay? I hate to bring it up, but you think back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game. Brad Johnson, a terrific defense. Guys who had been around a while, who weren't going to be intimidated by that kind of environment. You can't say that about Brock Purdy. And that, to me, is the obvious key right off the bat. How does he react to what that environment is going to be. The loudest moment that I've ever experienced at that stadium was in the 2018 NFC Championship game when Patrick Robinson intercepted Case Keenum and returned it to 50 yards for the touchdown. My favorite play. It was like an earthquake in South Philadelphia. Amazing. And if anything like that happens early tomorrow, man, I want to see how Purdy reacts to Uh, it. That's a great one. All right, you go. Give me a key. So one thing that I think has kind of flown under the radar, kind of, we've been talking – nationally and locally a little bit about A.J. Brown and the fact that he was caught on the sidelines last week against the Giants, kind of not being happy about the ball, not getting thrown to him. Well, I think he's a major, major key to this game tomorrow, but not because of the idea that Jalen Hurts has to get him the ball to keep him happy. I think this game is going to come down at its core to one-on-one matchups between skill position players and the people defending them and who wins those battles. And I think if you look at A.J. Brown and the totality of his season, he has had his best games, his most productive games, when the Eagles have been presented with those kinds of scenarios and matchups. 
10 catches for 155 yards against the Detroit Lions, who pride them, not a great team, pride themselves on smashing you in the mouth. Six catches for 156 yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who absolutely smack you in the mouth. Eight catches, 119 yards against the Tennessee Titans, who we all heard were tough and gritty and all of those things. Nine catches for 181 yards in sub-zero temperatures against the Bears in Chicago. Not a great team, but really rough conditions. I think A.J. Brown has to be a big factor tomorrow, and I think it's got to come in the form of, you know what, Jalen Hurts sees he's one-on-one on the outside against one of these 49er cornerbacks, throw the ball up and let him go get yes. it. Yes, yes, I like that. And I think, look, they have a lot of great weapons, and I'm going to talk about one as my next one. Sanders, Goddard, Devontae Smith, their, their second tier of skill players is very good. You yes. saw what Gainwell did last mm-hmm. week and Boston Scott. But this week, I, I agree with you, make it all pay off for A.J. Brown. And, and the Niners' weakness on defense, which they don't really have a weakness on defense, but the part that's not as great is you can beat him deep. And yeah. He, and he can do that, and I like it. Their, I, their cornerbacks are giving away inches and pounds and size to A.J. Brown. The Eagles need to take advantage of that. Good. All right, here you go. Number three, Jalen Hurts' legs. Mm-hmm. Um, has there yet been an effective defense against him on the run? Because I don't think so. Not that I've seen this season. Maybe they try to spy him with Fred Warner, but nobody has stopped him, and nobody has stopped the Eagles' rushing attack all season. Um, I think... Well, hold on. Before I say what I think, they ran for 268 yards against the Giants yes. last week. This defense is much better than the, than the Giants, but they've run for 200 yards five times this year. He is a huge part of it. Um, when he runs the ball, and I, I saw Kyle Shanahan talk about this. He said when, the, when they have a running quarterback, it's tough because then it's 11 on 11, not 10 on 11. Mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be a big part of it, and I think Jalen Hurts is two games away from ending the silly notion that a running quarterback can't win the Super Bowl. That's my number two. Yeah, and I think, just quickly, you know, Jalen went a long way against the Giants to kind of burying the idea that he would be limited in any way. You saw some of the runs that he made, his willingness to absorb contact. Now, the 49ers are about as physical a defense as you're going to encounter, but you can't tell me that Jalen Hurts, based on what we've seen from him this season, is going to shy away from any opportunity to carry the ball for a key first down or even if they're near the goal line, try to get it in the end zone. Okay, what do you got next? So my next is balance. It's what this comes down to. As Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid would say, must maintain balance. So the 49ers over the regular season. Hey, if if it comes down to 80s movies, I I got them all for you. By the way, the 51st best sports movie in the history of sports movies, according to a book. Says who? Says Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack, now in the ultimate book of sports movies. Never heard of them. Um, So the 49ers had the best run defense in the NFL this season. They allowed only 3.4 yards per carry. They had the 11th best pass defense. They only allowed 5.9 yards per attempt. So it's going to be critical, and this plays to your point about Hurts running the ball. It's going to be critical to me for the Eagles to keep them as off balance as much as they can, and the way to do that is to be balanced in your play calling. I Mm -hmm. know Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen tend to want to throw the ball early on to try to get a lead, to try to set a defense up for the run game later in the in the game, whether you're talking about Miles Sanders or Hurts, uh, that to me is going to be a key. You've, you've got to, as much as you can, keep the Niners guessing about what you're going to do from a play call like standpoint. It. All right, here you go. I'm going to pander to the crowd. Okay. 
if you win the toss, take the ball <laughs> or just lose the toss. Look, and, and this has become a big issue in this town. Sirianni was asked about it at his news conference yesterday, and the question was something like, every time you win the toss, you defer. Have you considered mm-hmm. other Oh, we consider every game unique, and we look at it differently. No, you don't. Yeah. You, and I, un- I understand how the analytics of it suggest that if you defer and get the ball to start the third quarter, odds are you a can little better. Well, yeah. maybe you can double up. Not necessarily. If the other team has the ball to end the first half, you don't. Then mm. you break even. But the odds are in your favor that you may get one more possession. la dee Freaking da. How's that for an answer? Your logic is unassailable, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I worked hard on that. Everybody wants Brock, 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 thank you, Purdy, to, to face the wrath of this crowd early. Um, he's ne- but, but he's never had to play from behind. Mm-hmm. Never. Right. And if the Eagles get the ball first and score and you make him drop back, and you get the crowd on your side, I think that it's going to be great. If, if the One of the largest ovations you're going to hear tomorrow is if the Eagles lose the toss. Yeah. The yeah. crowd will go crazy. Get the lead early. Make San Francisco. Make the rookie quarterback play from behind. Hey, we're going to the Super Bowl if they win the toss. Can I disagree with you on this one? Yeah. So my feeling would be that if you can – get the 49ers off the field early on their first possession. If you are putting Brock Purdy in that seething cauldron right off the bat, and then you get the ball to start the second half, that's every bit as good as scoring first. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, but I like my odds. So we're both giving hypothetical right right You're, right the hypothetical is he's going to get yeah. the ball he's going to three and out crowd's going to go crazy he goes mm-hmm. march down my hypothetical is eagles get the ball first and they score three or seven whatever it is i'll stick with my hypothetical okay. they're both neither they're both of them is wrong until something happens but i want i want the eagles to to get that i want that home crowd to just get their reward early and they will never back down after that all right okay. we got time for another all right so the last one i think we want to both agree on and want to touch on is I think the matchup individually that's going to define the outcome of this game in a lot of ways and that is Lane Johnson against Nick Bosa and his 18 and a half sacks this season this to me is the game within the game this is the one matchup that you want to keep an eye on if you're a football geek if you care about the outcome of this game in any way you know Lane came back to the lineup last week 26 pass protection plays did not allow a sack, did not allow a pressure, did not allow a hurry. Amazing. It was amazing. It was great. Given a tear in his groin in his core area mm. and, and what he's asked to do was a right tackle. Now you have Nick Bosa, who is maybe the best pass rushing defensive end in the league, 18 and a half sacks, does not have a sack so far in this postseason, but is dangerous all the time. He's the guy that the Eagles have to block. Johnson is the guy who as much as Hurts and maybe anybody else on the on the offense allows the Eagles to do what they do because they can put Lane on an island and let him block an opposing team's pass rusher, this, Glenn, to me, is the matchup of the game. I Listen, I love that, and I agree with you, and I can't wait to talk to Derek Gunn about that, Ray Dinger about that. And you wrote a terrific column about Lane Johnson earlier in the week. We're going to focus on that coming up maybe in the next segment. 
Uh, meanwhile, let's get a call or two in here. Dennis in Springfield starts us off. What are you thinking, Dennis? Well, what I'm thinking, Glenn, is, and it, it has absolute, absolutely nothing to do with analytics or anything else, and, and I respectfully disagree with you, but I want to kick off and for two reasons. One, that the Niners kick off, we get the ball, we probably start on the 25. Mm-hmm. We kick off, that crowd is going to be so geeked up and so fired up I would love to see the Eagles kick off, maybe to the two-yard line or whatever. Make San Fran bring it out, stop them inside the 25, and put the pressure on Purdy and that Niners offense immediately. Glenn, let me just say we have come full circle this season where we are getting callers like Dennis suggesting that the Eagles special teams are good enough <laughs> that they can hold the 49ers inside the 25-yard yeah. line on the kickoff return. Uh, I, I will say well, this, right. Dennis. If the, if the Eagles win the game, spoiler, I'm going to pick them to win, I do not think that the key factor is going to be special teams. Oh, no, and, and, that, and that's not what I'm saying. And you could even They could even start on a 30 or a 35. I want Purdy to have the ball first. I want our fired-up defense on the field first. And I want them, that crowd to just, just give it to them. And then, if, you know, if they go three and out and punt, we're probably getting the ball a lot better than the 25-yard line if, if they kicked off. All right, so uh, you and, agree and, with Mike, and, that, and that's good, and I, I appreciate the logic. Let me check to see if Bob can get a vote from Bob from Allentown. Okay. Bob, you're calling about the coin toss as well. So funny this yeah. is the issue. What do you think? <laughs> I sure am. You know what? I totally disagree with him. With Listen, who? there are two things you got to remember. Two yeah. things you got to remember. If we take the ball and we don't score, we're in trouble. The best thing we can do is take the ball. Because if we do take the ball, then we control the clock. If San Fran gets the ball first and they control the clock and they run seven, eight minutes off and they go down and score, how, how excited is the crowd going to be then? It's not. You always take the ball. You want to control the game, and that's including the clock and the coin toss. And one more thing about the kickoff. If you notice, Robbie Gould, Robbie Gould will kick that ball to the one-yard line every time. He will not kick it into the end zone. They have the best kick coverage in the game, and if you go back and look, he will never kick it in the end zone. They do have good kick coverage. They have good kick coverage. I I agree totally. I got you. Thank okay. you. So here's the thing, I, yeah, I, and I and I want you to address that in a moment. Mm-hmm. If they have really good kick coverage, and I got to say I haven't scouted that that much, that's bad news for Glenn. Yeah, because you and I still have our stupid bet. We going. do. We are still tied at seven, seven, right? And and the just to to give the short version of it. If the Eagles get stopped within their twenty on a kickoff return, you I, get a point. Yep. If they break it out to the forty. I get a point. Correct. Sounds like Bob's thinking you're going to get that point. Yeah, and, and to Bob's point, he, he does raise an issue that's come up over the course of the season that I think is a legitimate one, which is as good as Jonathan Gannon's and the Eagles' defense has been this season, where has it been at its worst? Generally in the first or second possession of a game, right? How many times have the Eagles allowed mm-hmm. a team like the Colts or the Saints to drive the ball down in the first possession Washington. and give up a t- Washington give up a touchdown. So Ugh. to his point, I, th- that's a that's a fair way to look at it. I think. So his argument swayed you more than my argument. Well, yeah, he's smarter than you are. Well, that's just saying. That's a large field. He also he also 
engaged no in, in like the that. longest discussion of Robbie Gould in the history of WIP, I think. <laughs> hey, so. the man's done his scouting. <laughs> I, I admi- he brought facts. I admire that. Penn State guy, probably. There you go. Um, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mackner, we're at the Philadelphia Auto Show now through February 5th. Um, the Auto Show uh, is filled with the latest models, classics, and exotics. Visit philadelphiaautoshow.com for details. 215-592-9494 on 94WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mackner with the Philadelphia Auto Show now through February 5th at the PA Convention Center. Don't miss Custom Alley. Show within a show with an incredible mix of cars and trucks you won't find elsewhere. And, Mike, it's so great. Everybody here, well, everybody, a huge percentage of people here are in their Eagles gear and their hats and mm-hmm. their jerseys. What about this gentleman right there? So we have a gentleman who just approached us with his grandson, and the man is wearing a vintage Jerome Brown number 99 jersey. And I know that takes you back to when you covered the team. Yeah. It takes me back to when I was a kid watching the team. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And we said to him, does his grandson's 20, right, 25? Yeah, maybe. about that, I'd say. And we said to him, does, this, does the younger guy understand? He says, oh, I've been teaching him since birth what this is about. So. <laughs> So, so he mean, knows. This is a birthright. Yeah, it's for the Eagles. And, it is. and that is, I mean, what is so important here, and when they won the Super Bowl five years ago, was the sharing it among generations. You know, mm-hmm. the, the grandfathers and the fathers and the sons and the mothers and, the, and so on, and the daughters. And that you get to experience this with your family is huge. And this, this, if they win tomorrow, this gentleman and his grandson, they're going to be high-fiving all over town. Yeah, no, I, I've talked about this before, Glenn, and you know how seriously I take my role as a columnist and a journalist and all of that. When the Eagles won that Super Bowl, and after I had filed my column, I went to the back of the press box at U.S. Bank Stadium, picked up my phone, and called my dad. And for like five minutes, this little, you know, gossamer stream of light was on me in the back of the press box talking to my father about the fact that the Eagles had won the Super Bowl. Maybe someday my dad gets that with the Bills. Not uh, this year. I hope so. All right. Brian and Glenn Nolden joins us. Hello, Brian. Hey, what's up, guys? Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning, Brian. So I um, I I haven't listened to any local, like, I haven't turned, tuned into WIP all week because I already know what the fans and what the local radio personalities are going to say here. So I've been listening to um, Sports Talk in San Francisco. And let me mm. tell you something, guys. They're scared to death. Mm, wow. they're, they're, they're scared. And um, one of the things they're scared of, they're scared of our defensive line. And the key to the game is as long as we keep them from running the ball, we win. And I might be the only person in this whole city or only fan in this whole city that thinks that if we get the lead early, it's going to be a blowout. It's, it's going to be just like the Giants game. You know, it's, it's interesting, Brian. I heard um, Marcus Spears from ESPN, who is one of the, the few analysts on ESPN who I actually like and respect and, things, and think <laughs> who comes at the, his positions yeah, uh, honestly. Yeah. And he said exactly the same thing you did, uh, that he expects the Eagles to win handily. Uh, and I think you're right on the money. I think if the Eagles force Purdy into have-to-throw situations, it is all to the good for them. It is all to their advantage. The challenge is... Kyle Shanahan is a really creative play caller. He's really smart, and he's going to have to come up with a way to get around that, and that, to me, is one of the key things to watch. It's Bosa, Lane, 
on you know on that matchup, and it is what the Shanahan do to make things easy for Purdy. That those to me are the two big keys. Here's the one thing about San Francisco, though, right? And I don't think a lot of people have really looked at this. They play in a weak division. They actually should have lost that game last week to Dallas. I don't care what anybody says. I hate Dallas. The Dallas should have won that game. If if um, Pollard doesn't get hurt, they win. And if uh, maybe Dak Dallas, Dallas helped. Two interceptions, yeah, they win. yeah, I agree with you in that Dallas helped lose on its own. I agree with that part. I don't know that they should have lost, but I, but listen, you make some great points. And the, and the run being the key to the game, Ross Tucker was on earlier this mm-hmm. week. Ross is on with me tomorrow at noon. And Ross said the whole key to the game is stopping their rushing attack, that if they can run, that's the Niners' only chance. And if you look, we talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. earlier, the, the game's Eagles lost. Washington, New Orleans right, uh, is when the defense couldn't stop the run. Now, they've gotten much better mm-hmm. against the run when they picked up Linville, Joseph, and Sue. Yeah. I mean, look how they did against Jonathan Taylor. The back half of the year, they did great right. against Jonathan Taylor. They did great against Derrick Henry. Um, the Cowboys game was a disaster, but they held Pollard and Zeke to under three yards a carry. If you can stop the run, and listen, they got McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, so it's yeah. tough, but you force Purdy to drop back, and then you win the game. Yeah, and one of the interesting things, I saw a film breakdown uh, of Purdy. One of the things that he tends to do when he's under pressure, and he hasn't been under much pressure this season, is run backward, kind of turn around yes, and, yes, and yes. kind of, you know, act like he's Donovan McNabb or right, he's Steve Young or by, something by like circling that. circling back to his 20. Right. So if the Eagles can win the battle up front with their front four, as they have tended to do throughout the season, that only bodes well. That eight-man rotation is just yeah. great. And, you know, credit to uh, Howie Roseman. So he brought up, or you brought up, Lane Johnson mm-hmm. versus Bosa, which is – the marquee matchup. You had a terrific column earlier this week in the Inquirer. I advise everybody to read it. Um, if you if you don't have, if you're not like me and have a a, a paper hanging around the house, read it on. It's Inquirer.com now, right? It is. Okay. It is. There yes. you go. And really, what your column showpieced uh, is that you talked to Lane, I guess, back in October. Mm-hmm. Correct. I don't know if you you embargoed this or whatever, but. It essentially talks about he knows the price he's going to be paying down the road. Yeah, he does, and I think most of these guys do, and I think the difference is that Lane is willing to speak about it now while he's still playing um, as opposed to once he's retired and kind of out of the sport. But he spoke at length to me and another writer, Tim McManus from ESPN, in the locker room one day as they were heading out to practice about what it's like to undergo three concussions uh, and mental health issues and all the injuries apart from anything related to his head that he's had to deal with over his nine years in the NFL and how many guys in the league deal with these things. And it was really an eye-opener because I think it's easy to get caught up in, especially in a week like this and a situation like this where our favorite team, quote-unquote, is playing for a shot to go to the Super Bowl. It's easy to forget what these guys are putting on the line to play. We only think about it once they've retired and – it, it's good just to kind of keep that in mind that, you know, Lane is playing through something that if you experienced it or I experienced a tore, a tear in our groin, we would be calling our friends and family members every day to complain about how much we hurt. And we I would be doing it. Out of bed for right. A we year. would be doing it from our bed. Right. And he's going to go out there yeah. and play against the best pass rusher in the NFL. It's amazing. And, and the thing that you talked about is it's about the immediate. Yes. Right. You, you know. In the back of your mind that three years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, this may haunt you. 
but you have to put it in the back of your mind because they're, you are extremely well paid, and beyond that, you work with these guys, the mm-hmm. closeness of the team, and you need to do it this week. Yeah, and I think I do think we undersell that as a factor. I know you, we touched on this last week, and I don't want to go back to, to a discussion of this, but you talked about the concept of team and the value of team with respect to the Ivan Provorov situation with the Flyers. Yeah. And, and we undersell that, I think, sometimes. How much it, it matters and is expected to matter to these guys that you show up on Sunday to play in the big game or you show up on Tuesday night when the Flyers are playing the Bruins and you're willing to lay it on the line for your teammates. Mm -hmm. That matters a lot. And I've been asked a lot in the wake of this column, why does Lane play if he feels this way, if he feels so bad and he knows it could harm him down the road? And that obligation, that sense of loyalty he feels to his team is a big part of it. It's a terrific column. People should uh, should read that. Uh, Mitch in Bala is with us. Hey, Mitch. Hi, Mitch. Hi, good morning, guys. How are you today? Great. Awesome. Big, big fan of your show. Um, Thanks. Okay, so I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan. Go back 50 years. Grew up about a mile from that stadium. Um, so I just wanted to preface that. I see this game tomorrow, again, just my opinion, as a knockdown, drag-out fight. I don't see it as a as – a, and I don't think anybody gets comfortable throughout the whole game. I see it possibly being a last-possession game, Ooh, low, wow. sco- low, low scoring. I could see this going down, you know, like, you know, you know last possession. Oh, we drive the ball. We, we kick a, I'm telling you. Look, I'm, I'm a contrarian. So when they open when they open this when they open this game at one and a half, San Francisco, and then they bet it up to two and a half. Yeah, that tells me this is an evenly matched game. All right. So when they didn't even when they didn't even give us the benefit of a three point being a three point favorite. Yeah, it tells me this is even. This game. All right. Is so even. so by Mitch, seventeen seconds to go. Eagles down twenty one to twenty. Merrill Reese on the call. Jake Elliott, 48-yard field goal. Good. Field goal, good. And that, Eagles and win, go to the Super Bowl. And, and, that's, and we're going to be okay if, we, if our heart survives. It's, I'm telling you, uh, that's the way I see it. Both right. scoring, best possession. I mean, it, it could be even where we kick the field goal, go ahead, and then we stop San Francisco oh, coming wow. back the other way. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You're Could you imagine? Me. Thank you, thank you, Mitch. The the, the oh. pall of nervousness that will uh, fall over Lincoln that. Financial uh, Field yeah. if that happens. Oh my gosh! Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up next, we just want to switch gears a little bit because um, Scott Rowland got into the Hall of Fame this week. Uh, to which my official statement is: <laughs> so <I'll, laughs> we can I'll, talk about. I'll that. expound on that just yeah. a little bit. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, we are at the Philadelphia Auto Show. So many people here, all of them in their Eagles gear. I really like that. Hey, if the cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, no better time to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of Guida's big winter sales event than right now. The good people at Guida Door and Window are extending their big winter sale through January, offering 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, which also includes free high-performance low-E glass. 
And if you're in need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans and get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers are limited time only, so you must act quickly. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Chopper, fair ball, the off-balance ball by Roland. Great play. Off-balance, and he threw a BB over there to third. One away. Fine play by the young man from Jasper, Indiana. <laughs> First of all, Vince Scully was the greatest. The best. He was the best. so great. That's Vince Scully. Uh, Dodgers, Phillies. It was Scott Rowland's rookie season, as a matter of fact. He was rookie of the year. A young man from Jasper, Indiana. But here's the thing, Glenn. That was, what, <laughs> 1996, 1997. He didn't sound any different. No. The day he retired. I know. God, he was great. He was awesome. So he's a Hall of Famer, Vince Scully. So now Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. So here's my stance. Okay. Is, is he a Hall of Famer? Maybe. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't take the argument that like there's no way he should be right. in the Cooper Sam because marginally he is. It's like I don't really want to argue that he he had one top ten finish in the MVP. He won a slew of Gold Gloves. So here's the thing, he's he's got a higher Jaws and War Seven and right. where I was watching the arguments mm-hmm. this week and none of them they're they're all like Scrabble letters. Yes, to make the case <laughs> for him, and he's got higher than that than the average third baseman in the Hall of Fame. I, I can't argue that. The, the thing is, sports debates have changed so much over the years from what did I see, what mm-hmm. did I witness, yes. to look at the, let's break down this algebra, and here right. you go, right. and how numbers translate. And to me, it's making sports more like homework than fun sometimes. But I, that's not the debate I want to have. Anyway. Let's say he deserves it. Okay. The problem is the Hall of Fame, Mike, is so out of whack because the best players of the era, Bonds and Clemens, aren't getting in, and the very good like Roland are. Yes. We agree on that premise. We do. And go ahead, continue. So here's my question. Well, actually, speak if you want because my question isn't about the merits. Do you have something to say about his merits? Here's here's my take on the Hall of Fame, and I've kind of developed this over time, which is that I come at this – with a completely kind of outside-the-box view of the Hall of Fame, which is to say that I am less inclined to put a guy like a Scott Rowland or, in the most extreme case, a Harold Baines, who got in basically because Tony LaRussa liked him and he built up a bunch of numbers over time, than I am players who are tied to moments that are timeless in the sport. So, for instance, I would put... Kirk Gibson in the Hall of Fame wow. just for his home run in the 1988 World Series. Huh. I would put Roger Maris in the yeah. Hall of Fame just for his 61 home run okay. season. Yeah, Bill Mazeroski for the home run at the end of the 1960. He's in anyway, yeah, but, but he you're should show, be in. You're showcasing moments as opposed to accumulators. Uh, accumu- right, and achievements. Yeah. Now, okay. And just to, to tie a bow on this, by that standard, I think Roland's election – makes it much easier and makes makes it a much more compelling case for guys like Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins to get in. Although Rollins got, what, 12%? I know, but there will be guys who aren't on the ballot, and, you know, it doesn't look good 
for Jimmy. I, I personally think Jimmy is a Hall of Famer. I think Utley is a Hall of Famer. I think a guy like Don Mattingly, who was the best hitter in baseball by a mile for five years, yeah, this should be a Hall of Famer. Ro- I don't think Roland was ever the best. And he was the best right. defensive third baseman. Okay. But here's my question, and this is where I want to turn it, because the thing about debating Roland's merits is he's kind of yes, kind of no, so there's not a compelling debate to me. It's I, I, I can, you I can, can you hear take the it or leave that he it. belongs yeah. in. When... Our guys get in. There's always the sea of red. When yeah. Schmidt got in, when Ashburn got in, which I think was the same year, mm-hmm. when Steve Carlton get in, when our guys get in at Canton, we go. There's always the local fans that are going to go out and honor that guy, and we fill the joint. It's one of the things that helps build the reputation of Philadelphia fans as great is we will honor our guys when they get honored. We even do it with the guys who were here for just some time, Tomei and Halliday, yes. right? Yep. Philadelphia people should up. Will anybody? Will hold on. I'm falling in a crack. <laughs> I almost fell off stay, the stage. Stay here. with me, Glenn. Stay will with a, me. Will a single person say, "I need to go to Cooperstown to see Scott Rowland get inducted"? He didn't even play on Scott Rowland Day. Yeah, well, he that, did not like us, and we did not like him, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But nobody is gonna from philadelphia go and say like oh i gotta go to the scott Rowland." i I disagree i think there'll be a segment i think there'll be a segment not a huge segment but i do think there will be a segment of phillies fans who will go because i do think there's a segment of fans i I take everything you just said about Rowland and understand where you're coming from but i think there is going to be a segment of phillies fans who look at his time and say i put that on the organization that the organization at that time was, for lack of a better way of putting it, not worthy of a player like Scott Rowland, and Scott Rowland knew it and wanted to get out, and I don't blame him for it. And and so much time will have passed that people are going to say, you know what, I loved Scott Rowland when he was here. I'm going to go go no. to Cooperstown. We wanted to like Scott Rowland. We cheered him when he won Rookie of the Year. He was the next great hope in a farm system that was not developing people. But, man, you knew early on. The, I remember the Inquirer did a profile of him mm-hmm. early on in which they wanted, like, so what are your interests off the field? And there was a quote in there that said, let me hold on because I wrote the quote. If you want to know more about me, sorry about your luck. He was he was a jerk when he was here. And he had <sighs> rabbit ears. And he sulked when Larry Boa criticized him. Dallas Green came on WIP. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the, it, GMs don't do this these days. No, but they he don't. Came out with Angela, <laughs> and he said, Scotty is satisfied with being a so-so player. He's not a great player in his mind. He probably thinks he's doing okay. But the fans of Phillies know otherwise. God, I love Dallas. Um, <laughs> yes, nah. but nobody, we, no, no, but, no, but we're also, going. Glenn, in the context of that time, you're also talking about an era when the Phillies referred to themselves as a small market team. I know. And one of Roland's beefs with the organization was, you are not spending money to make like a big market team ought to. I don't want to be here. You're not committed to winning. So it's not that he was wrong in that. Okay. But it doesn't mean that we embrace him. It doesn't mean it's like, hey, he called him out for a cheap. Honey, we're going to Cooperstown. No, true, but I mean, like it, I can, re- I can doesn't res- make him wrong. I can respect him for that, although I still think he was a jackass, but I can respect <laughs> him for that. But I'm, I'm telling you that when they go, I guess it's just him. Who's getting in this year? Might be just he him. and Fred McGriff. McGriff, yes, That's yes, it. yes. Got yes. any old timers? Yeah. It's going to be a small crowd in Cooperstown. Yeah, it is, and, and I don't think those people in St. Louis love him either. Uh, I disagree. 
I think uh, I so think St. Louis will be Cardinals. Uh, excuse me, Scott Rowland referred to yes. St. Louis as baseball yes. heaven. I feel like I died and went to baseball heaven. Well, good. They get lost. <laughs> Go to hell. All right. Wow. Oh, hold on. I'm scaring people here. At the this, well, you know. I'm screaming in the all middle of the All they're doing is looking you, at, sir. at You're trucks. You're a fine gentleman. And, and I wasn't <laughs> saying go to hell to you, sir. Please. Sorry. All right, I better, let me change This poor guy thought Glenn was yelling uh, at know, him. Oh, I'm, my I, gosh. I apologize. Let's get to uh, Mike and Yardley. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? <laughs> well, uh, that was really fun. Great rant, Glenn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Absolutely you. great rant. And uh, I will not be going to Cooperstown for Scott Rowland. Not interested. Mike from Yardley for speaks Jay. for everyone. Yeah, give me a break. Um, but the reason I called was uh, I was really happy with you last weekend, Glenn, when you mentioned the tailgate and the impact of the fans on the play of the game. It's great. Because we have it's, – it's wonderful. I was at the game last weekend. I'm going tomorrow. And if the birds can just play with a lead, make San Francisco chase the lead, we'll kill them. We'll absolutely kill them. And I want to see the offensive line doing run blocking. You want to stop a pass rush? Make them defend the run and fight with the huge line that we have. Just back them off, you know. And I think I think they're fine. Yeah. The other rant that I Go have is. Uh, that's all right. The other thing that uh, that came up, and it kind of ties with the fans, um, I've heard something, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or please tell me that it's not going to happen, that they're going to try to make the conference championship games on neutral site. Well, Mike Even and ticket holders will go absolutely crazy about that. Well, Mike, it it's, it's funny. to the wrong bunch of people you got me all right mike oh i'm so angry about the idea that it might happen (laughs) good and you know what great punctuation at the end yeah i I like a growl (laughs) (laughs) so it's funny mike from yardley brings this up because i wrote a column that's on inquire.com now it's going to be in the sunday paper about this very topic about the idea that's being floated albert breer from sports illustrated and monday morning quarterback had a piece about this last week that it's gaining momentum it's something that the owners have have talked about for a while, but because of the DeMar Hamlin situation where the NFL reached this kind of compromise that if the Bills were going to play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, they would play the game in Atlanta as opposed to one of the two teams' home fields. It gave them an excuse to talk about this and Mm. push this idea forward. And I think this idea should be killed with fire. I mean, I just think it's the worst possible idea. It is so soulless. It is so elitist. It is everything that... NFL, you know, it's so bad only NFL owners could come we'll up get, with it. I want to save some of that righteous anger because okay. I want to get to it later. It's the Scott Rowland of ideas, and Glenn. I, <laughs> and I want to bring it up also with Ray. Just it sure. could be a long shot. I'm guessing Ray might agree with you. Uh, I, I would be willing to bet on that. All right, let yes. me get Andy in Bucks County. What's on your mind today, Andy? I love your rant on Scott Rowland. Um, Thank you. I don't, think, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, number one. If he goes to, you know, I won't go to Cooperstown, obviously. But if they have a Scott Rowland Day in Philadelphia, I won't go, and I have season tickets. Um, I'm going just I, to I, move. Wow! I never under. What is the explanation? What What didn't he like about Philadelphia? I never really understood that. Go well, ahead, go he, ahead, Glenn. He, I, I was a young pup back. Yeah, then. Uh, and I was I was there and covering it and so on and so forth. 
he didn't he hated the he didn't like some of the things that we didn't like. He hated the vet. He hated playing at the vet. He hated playing on a bad team. Uh, he hated that ownership would not commit a lot of money to winning. I don't agree with those principles. However, he made himself into a sulking, moping guy who was who yeah. was regarded by teammates as a bad teammate because of it. It, it right. seems to me, Glenn, one of the, the dynamics you're talking about there is that Roland... Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Eddie. Roland projected and, to a certain degree, like lived the idea that he was kind of above everybody in Philadelphia. Yes! Which is the worst thing you can do. Yes! I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to play the Philly guy thing because we can play that. And there's a lot of players who are great who I'm happy to have who aren't so-called Philly, dirty, mucking up. His, his playing style was that. Yeah. He, I mean, he... He would dive in the dirt, and he was a great base runner. I give him credit for all that. He was just a jack wagon. And, you know, Scott Rowland Day, they're giving out the Scott Rowland T-shirts. 35,000 people, whatever, come to the vet, right? And mm-hmm. I get it. You put it on Terry Francona. He was the manager. So, like, yeah, take a day off. You don't take a day off when people are coming to see you play. It's just stupid. Hey. He was a tremendous player, and he was right in the content of what uh, he said about, about uh, he was pretty tremendous. He was right in the content of what he said about the organization at that time. It's no longer true. It, it became not untrue I went relatively to baseball quickly. Heaven. Well, is this Iowa? <laughs> no, it's St. Louis, and they love baseball there. I don't Please. like I don't like that kind of pablum either. But yeah, pablum. You know. That's exactly. Let's go. You know what? Let's do, we got to take a break. Okay. Uh, we want. <laughs> we got Derek on. Com- I'm getting worked up here. <laughs> you are, it's the Eagles. Yeah. Hey, the Eagles are playing tomorrow. How do we feel about that? There you go. See, they're excited about that. Scott Rowland got in the Hall of Fame. How do we feel about that? There you go. I love these people. <laughs> that's these, it. They're the greatest. <laughs> Point of order. There we go. Coming. <laughs> I think that solves it. Coming up, we look forward to talking to Derek. We're at the Philadelphia Auto Show at the Convention Center. Great crowd here. All these new models. Everybody having a great time. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. The ball first following halftime. 49ers facing a third down and seven. Picked off by Jalen Mills. Mills stays in bounds. He's inside the 10. To the end zone. Touchdown. Well, you remember that one, Mike Sielski? That was a highlight during the Super Bowl run. Last week we played Eagles-Giants highlights mm-hmm. coming out every break, and there was no shortage. We just could have played 50 of them. Yeah. Eagles-Niners highlights. I got some today, not so much, but that was, of course, during the Super Bowl run and uh, yeah, the Green I, Goblin. I do remember that game. There was a stretch in that season where the Eagles were just kind of thumping mediocre to not so good teams one week after another they they killed the 49ers they killed the denver broncos and it was it got kind of rote after a while and i think that game was in that stretch where they didn't play great they just were better than the 49ers and beat them and that was that yeah um we are endeavoring to reach our friend Derek gunn when we do we will talk to him in the meanwhile we'll talk to our callers larry in delaware you're on with mike and glenn hey larry Hey, how you guys doing? Doing great. Hey, Larry. All right, you got it. You got to forgive the background noise. It's kind of the way I have to work. But I got to say this: I called in a couple weeks ago, and I know we're the greatest at sacks and all that. But did you see that hit put on Trevor Lawrence by that Kansas City linebacker when he got through? Just as he released the ball, 
He struck him so hard. I guarantee you he had to go to the dentist on Monday to have his teeth adjust. And, and to me... You're bringing this up because? I think that's going to be the key. It's like, what was it Trevor in the Lawrence? natural? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, but for Brock Purdy. Yeah, I got you. His, I got you. I got remember, you. remember they said, welcome to the major leagues, Roy Hobbs. It was like, that's how you're going to have to introduce yes, you're going this with the Al. You're going with the old Al Davis. The quarterback's going to go down, then he's going to go down hard. That's that's <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. I, and listen, it is, it yeah. is a key. I've talked to Ike Reese about this a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a code among players in the NFL that you don't want to maim anybody. Oh, I'm not saying that. No, I know. I know. Let me finish. Let me finish. But if you can knock him out until next week, you've done your job. And the quarterback's exactly right. Yeah. You don't need to sack him and make it look pretty. All you got to do is make it look pretty. Knock him down. I got that. But now on the (laughs) Scott Bowen thing, I think what happened is the social media phenomenon. It's like, I love Chase Utley, but my wife, who knows nothing about sports, talks all the time about how they would take in dogs and they were big in their foundation and stuff like that. how does this relate to Roland? Well, it's because players now, it gets more ignored what they did on the field as too much their star outside of it. You know, yeah, I, and thanks, man. I, I don't, I'm not I, yeah, I don't that at all. Uh, and Roland is the exact kind of opposite of that. Yep. His Hall of Fame candidacy is based entirely on the numbers and what he did on the field. It's not based on his personality or his stardom, <laughs> even a little bit. What personality? Personality. He didn't have any, according no, to you. No, he, he did. He had one. It was, <laughs> it was miserable, hangdog, <laughs> woe is me, I hate these people. Scott, I, and listen, I like most guys. I like most people. I'm a people person. Scott Rowland was a creep when he was here. I, the last segment, you were just telling pe- poor people who were just wandering around I, the auto show to go to hell. No, I wasn't telling him to go to hell. <laughs> Scott Rowland going to the Hall of Fame. Good for him. Have a party. Live it up with your two friends. Nobody from Philadelphia is going to give a damn about going to see Scott Rowland in the Hall of Fame. That's all I was saying. That's my whole point. Thank this you. is Glenn's Hill, and he will die. I would gladly. Uh, let's talk to our friend Mitch in Center City. Hello, Mitch. Gentlemen, sorry about last week in the hospital. Those those University of Pennsylvania walls are really thick. No, sorry that's okay. You. I'm glad you're out of the hospital. And yeah, I was in there six well. days, punching around, but you know it's a long story. But everything's Root good. For um, you all the time, pal. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Hi, Mitch. Good. To, good. good that you're feeling better. Yeah, I'm glad that they sort of didn't use Sanders a lot, and they used Gainwell last week and Scott. I mean, what a combination. Are we going to – that game well, are we going to see him maybe a little more tomorrow? Maybe he's going to get uh, seven. Let me put a number on it, and, and uh, let's see if where Mike goes on this. I say Kenny game well tomorrow, four and a half carries. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say four to five, but I, oh, well, they right. tend to use him in big situations, Glenn. They third tend down, to use man. him on third down. Yeah, I really – you the know, the, the, and, and Scott, listen, Scott, too, I mean, no, no disrespect to Sanders, Sanders, but those, those two combos last week were – I know it's going to be a different team tomorrow, but uh, I'm very relaxed. Eagles are going to win tomorrow, 30 to 24. Ooh, wow, he's got a high-scoring game. Yeah, I'll take yeah. that. All right, who but, are you watching you know, with tomorrow? It's going to be fantastic. Who I'm who even going to clo- I'm even going to close early tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you ought to. It's Mitch has got the uh, Cone Brothers Hardware Store down around South Street, uh, and uh, it's a great place. 
been there for like a hundred years, mm-hmm. and I think closing early tomorrow because who's who's going to be nobody's going to be leaving snow shovel at four o'clock. Y- you're either going to be at your home, you're going to be at a friend's home, or you're going to be at the link. Come two forty-five tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, this town's going to be really dead out there, and that's that's okay. Steve in Cherry Hill is with us. Hey, Steve. Hey guys, how are you doing? Doing great. We're great. Thank you. Yeah, so I have a dilemma tomorrow. I'm hoping you can help me out a little bit. Sure. So we before the season started, I scheduled a business trip that requires me to be in San Diego first thing Monday morning. Ooh. There is, I got two choices of flight. I can fly out early and arrive just at kickoff. Yeah. Or I can uh, take a later flight, but I'd have to leave around halftime. Oh, God. That's, that's now, from the you, game. you you got to so leave early, Steve. This isn't a close call. Well, all right. So there's step two to this. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Do I stay in the air? Do I stay at the airport and watch this lousy airport bar? Or there's a pretty good Philly bar in San Diego, but I'd probably miss for a quarter and a half to get there. What's that call? I well, unless it's a blowout, I would get off the plane, push yeah. people out of the way. <laughs> That's a given. Yeah, common, commandeer yeah. one of those little airport carts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still, yeah. still one of those. Think they mm-hmm. leave the keys in them. Yep. Drive to the closest airport bar. Stand again, belly up to the bar. Perhaps shoving people out of the way. Make sure yeah. you wear Eagles gear so people understand the motivation. No, 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 no. That's a jinx for me. No there Eagles gear at a bar. All right. Order a local whatever the local beer is in Lagunitas, and, okay. and just lock your hands, lock your body right there. Steve, I concur. If you're an <laughs> Eagles fan, this is one yeah. of those situations where. It comes down to something this simple. One yeah. does what one must. You yeah. got to get in front of a television as soon as you can for as long a right. period of time as you can. All right. Got it. yeah. Okay. Actually, so that means the airport bar. Okay. Got yeah. it. All yeah. right. We've solved all your dilemmas. I think so. I was leaning that way, but I was kind of headed towards maybe the Philly bar. But no, I think I think you convinced me. No, because if you uh, if you miss. Um, you know the portion of the game, uh, he you're, you're never forgive yourself. You right. just will never forgive yourself. Right? What are you they like the greatest play in the history of Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, and he's in the cab. Or yeah, the Uber no, ass. you don't want that. You that's don't want gonna, that. That's not going to work. So, we are endeavoring to uh, contact Derek Gunn. Yeah. Uh, Kyle's going to get him on the phone in a couple of seconds here, I think. So, um, okay, we have that coming up. All right. Meanwhile, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. You talk to Kyle because it sounds like we need some backstage uh, uh, communication. I'll talk to Tom and Old. All right, sounds good. Hey, Tom, Hello what do you there, think? guys. Hey I'm honored to be the first uh, person, the last person before Derek Gunn. Well, uh, I want to bring reach up- him, yes. Oh, good. Um, I'm uh, got a Scott Rowland comment, and I want to know if you agree with this. Uh, okay. I would take the stand that Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, and Cole Hamill are as deserving or more deserving to be in the Hall of Fame as Scott Rowland. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Okay, that uh, Cole Hamels, yeah. Jimmy Rollins, yeah. Chase Utley, and Ryan Howard are as deserving and probably more deserving than Scott Rowland to be in the Hall of Fame. Agree? I would say, I would say definitely Utley. Uh-huh. I, I think Rollins is a... I think, I, and I hate to put the, use the word marginal, but I think Rollins, I guess Rollins deserves it the way Roland deserves it, which is yeah. that kind of, sort of. 
Howard, I love him, but no. Hamels, well, Hamels would make it on the Mike Sielski magical moment <laughs> pick. Well, maybe and maybe not. I'm not sure how magical in the in the history of baseball the 2008 postseason that Cole Hamels had really is. He was well, great, don't get me wrong. It was but, for me. Well, I know, but this is not the Glenn Macnow Hall of Fame. This is the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Damn. Hey, hey guys, didn't Roland just have one World Series ring? 2006. He didn't have more than that, did he? I think that's correct. Same yes, yeah. St. Louis. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. I, listen, look, it's, uh, look there, there's. Go ahead. You know, it, to me, this comes down to how you define what a Hall of Famer is, and I think that's part of the problem with the debate and the discussion around it now is that so much of what the debate comes down to these days is, did the guy play for a long time and hit certain benchmarks with numbers and are we reevaluating a player's career after he's retired based on metrics that we weren't really using hey, at the time he was playing? J. Jaw. Or wait, no, that was the receiver. Yeah. Okay. I don't know, but he gets in on something like that. There's some stat that's out there, J7. Oh, okay. Okay. That, 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 that. I thought you were arguing that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside no, was all of I'm, I'm backing up your point that the yeah. metrics that they use now with all the initials well, he has to be in because yeah. he's got a higher whatever. Yeah, and sometimes that's useful. Like, Dick Allen should be in the Hall of Fame because by— Dick Allen or Scott Rowland? Dick Allen, first Absolutely. and foremost. Yes, I agree. Two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. We will talk to Derek Gunn coming up. I am told we're at the Philadelphia Auto Show at the uh, PA Convention Center now through February 5th. Don't miss Custom Alley, a show within a show with an incredible mix of cars and trucks you will not find anywhere else. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Uh, you know what I'm watching? By the way, what we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Windows' big winter sale through January. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit go-g-u-i-d-a.com. I'm watching Derek Gunn on Jacob Media along with Barrett Brooks and Rob Ellis. Hold on. Let me get Derek up here. The mouse has frozen. There we go. Derek, we when, when can we uh, give us a little bit of your ventures and how we can keep up with you? All right. Uh, you know, first of all, good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, sec- good morning, guys. Secondly, uh, secondly uh, you know, uh, Barrett Brooks, Rob Ellis, and I, we do a show Monday through Friday, noon to 3, on the Jacob Sports Media YouTube channel called Sports Take. Uh, we get great guests on weekly. As you guys know, you've been on with us. And, uh, and of course, the Gun on One podcast each and every week. Uh, my latest guest, Barrett Brooks, breaks down his NFC Championship game like nobody else does. Uh, so, you know, like you guys always know, I'm here, I'm there, I'm a little bit of everywhere. I loved your reaction this week when Nick didn't even get in the final three for coach of the year. I, I, I just will ask you to repeat the spontaneity and what you thought about the fact that he got blanked on that. Yeah, that's total disrespect. I mean, there's... You know, we, we've talked about this on the show for a couple of weeks, and there are like eight legitimate candidates you can pick from for, for Coach of the Year. But how do you not pick a coach who, who, who improved his win total by five, who secured the number one spot in the NFC, whose team uh, statistically across the board are uh, in the top five on both sides of the football? And I asked Barrett, and, you know, Barrett played here, and he's been here a long time, and Rob is a native Philadelphian. I ask him all the time, 
And I've been here since 1997. I've never been able to get a definitive answer from a native Philadelphian. And you guys have been here longer than I have. Glenn, you have. And I know, you know, Mike, you, you're from here. I just, it just blows me away the total disrespect Philadelphia sports fans, teams, coaches get consistently from those on the outside looking in. Prime example, Joel Embiid, not named a starter to the all-star team. We understand he has a foot issue, but he's a leading scorer in the league. He's not even a starter, named a starter for the all-star team. I mean, it's just year after year after year, and no one has ever been able to give me a definitive answer as to why Philadelphia continuously gets this type of disrespect. No one likes us, and it bothers us to our core, I think, Gunnar. <laughs> um, one, one guy who did get respect this past week, though, was Howie Roseman. He was named the Pro Football Writers Executive of the Year. And you mentioned that you've been here in the area since 1997. I wonder, has there been a figure in your time, particularly covering the Eagles, related to the Eagles, for whom the perception and kind of public opinion about has changed and reversed as much as it has with Howie Roseman. For the longest time it was, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's not a football guy, you know, and now it is, he created a Super Bowl team, he's got another team on the verge of getting back to the Super Bowl in Howie We Trust. What's your take on kind of his, the, the arc of his journey, so to speak, since he's been here kind of in charge of the Eagles? The simple answer is no. The expanded answer is, you know, he has ridden that proverbial roller coaster with his fan base and the media since, since I've been here. Uh, you're right. Early on, when, when he assumed control of player personnel decisions, it was he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, when you, when you think about it, go back and look at the, the draft picks that, that just didn't make it here. You know, the, I'm talking about the second and third round picks that just didn't last here. And then he tried to, to bring in that dream team, you know, and that failed with Namdi Asawan, all those guys, Deron Curse, Stacey Babbitt, and those guys. That didn't work. And then for every hit that he had, he'd, he'd have a miss. And then, of course, the ultimate embarrassment, he got power played by Chip Kelly and basically jettisoned out of his position. And then, of course, you know, to the credit of Jeffrey Lurie, he reinstates Howie. And Howie came out, and he was very humble about it, says, you know what, I had a lot to learn. You know, he could, have, he could have thrown verbal darts. He didn't. He said, I had a lot to learn. And you could see that prior to the 2017 season in terms of how he orchestrated that team. And lo and behold, you know, it ends up being the team that hoists the first Lombardi trophy for this region. And now you look at where he is right now. I mean, you know, you have to, you, 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 we talk about how things look good on paper when, when, it, when you're looking at a roster, but obviously you have to play the game. So it should have been a slam dunk, and rightfully so, that Howie was the executive of the year. The way he went about constructing this team from last offseason during the free agency, training camp, and even midseason when he, they identified they had a weakness in run defense, and they bring in two behemoths in, like Indomitian Sue and Linville Joseph. And here we stand, NFC Championship game, one went away from another Super Bowl, in their backyard. You know, it's, it should be a slam dunk that Howie is the best of the best at what he's done this year. I think for I think for him, I think for a GM, you're only as good as your last year. And mm. as Derek said, he's had those couple of great years, some not great years. I don't know that he'll ever be one of the truly beloved. Derek, I just want to circle back because you mentioned how this town doesn't get respect in our teams. And somebody just right. wanted to check in with that. I'm going to bring up and hear what this gentleman has to say. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. No 
Derek, that was, the, of course, the ultimate <laughs> moment at the Super Bowl parade when Jason Kelsey spoke for all of us in that regard. And I, I mean, it is, it is an odd thing. I don't know that I can answer it. Um, I was listening to Michael Wilbon this week, who's one of my least favorite people in the media, talk about how we, the Eagles have no advantage in quarterback with, Jason, with, Jay, with Jalen Hurts over Brock Purdy. Uh, because Brock Purdy hasn't lost the game, and I'm thinking, does he watch anything? And I do think Derek, first of all, we do care, much as Jason Kelsey is, we don't. Yeah. I think a lot of it is because they know they can poke us and it bothers us. Yeah, but why not any other city? I mean, Boston, New York, Chicago, Oakland. Be- Oakland is notorious. Yeah, for having fans that yeah do, but I don't. Oak, Oakland, Oakland doesn't matter like we matter. Um, I mean, New York, Boston do, but I think, but I think Boston takes it more as a badge of honor as opposed to Philadelphia, which really reacts to it. I, yeah, you know, I think that's yeah, what Boston's like. And, you and, know, they don't. They real. It's not that they really don't care. They almost look at it as praise. Philadelphia looks at it and says, "Why don't you like us?" And I think a lot of it is a self fulfilling prophecy, Derek. I don't know if you were at uh, Nick Sirianni's newsletter yesterday. No, but re- no. Okay, so there's a, a now that you get the reporters from all over the place because it's the championship yep. game. There's a reporter from Germany there, and his question to Nick was, and I'm paraphrasing now because I don't I don't have it in front of me, but it, it was talking about the home crowd. He says like, "Your fans are known as being tough, right? Like they threw snowballs at Santa." No, oh, he didn't. Geez. He didn't say that. He said he, your fans threw snowballs at the Santa Claus. Oh, at the Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, well, it was just kind of funny. You know, yeah. yeah. Okay. So. That Derek happened before, well, I was born, probably before you were born, definitely before Mike was born, but it just lives forever. And they, and I think part of it is because they know they can annoy us. I don't want to get sidetracked. You're here to talk football, so let, let's <laughs> let's talk football. Give us one or two what you see, like what you're going to be looking at early as a key to the game tomorrow. The Eagles offensive line against the 49ers defensive front. Obviously, where are the 49ers going to line up? Nick Bosa. Will he be over Mulata? Will he be over Lane Johnson? Will he continuously move him back and forth? And obviously, the play of Jalen Hurts, the dual threat capability of Jalen Hurts, which has frustrated defenses all season long. I, because I do believe Jalen's going to have to run, have some quarterback runs to loosen up that 49ers defense. Uh, but, but I think the, the, big, the big one is the trench warfare, and I think on both sides of the ball, the Eagles have the advantage in the trench warfare. They have that depth and that rotation on the defensive side, 70 sacks plus five more in the playoffs. Brock Purdy has not seen a ferocious rush like he's going to see come tomorrow. I have to give the young man credit. Kyle Shanahan has done an incredible job of of putting strategic pieces around him, of a game plan and an offensive design that keeps him comfortable even when he's under duress. But he has not faced a pass rush like he's going to face. He has not faced a hostile environment like he's going to to face. He has never played on the East Coast as a professional football player. Now, everybody keeps saying every week, can he handle the pressure? And Continuously, he says yes. But he has never faced a, a storm like he's going to face on Sunday. And so those are the things, the trench warfare, Jalen Hurts, and Brock Purdy. Those are the three three for me. Gunnar, how much, and this is something that's kind of been 
not talked about at all, I feel like, this week. How much does where these teams play, and by that I mean the Eagles were in the NFC East, they were one of three playoff teams out of that division, and the fourth team you know, could have made the playoffs had they won a game or two here and there. And the 49ers were in a division that just, quite frankly, wasn't as good. Um, how much, in terms of being battle-tested, do you think that factors into what we're going to see tomorrow? You know, that, that's a great question because the Eagles are playing the, the best competition across the board that they will play all season long. The 49ers are playing the best competition they have seen all season long tomorrow. It's exactly the way it should be. Let's face it, the NFC and, and the, NFC, uh, the NFC West um, was down this year. The, 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 the competition across the board in the NFC was mediocre at best. And so you see the verbal battles back and forth. Your schedule was easier. No, your schedule was easier. You know what? You play who's on your schedule. You, know, you, can't, you can't do anything about that. But the fact of the matter is it's better to be on the top than the bottom no matter who you play. I think both teams are very well-tested, uh, battle-tested-wise. Um, you know, you, you look at the games that, that the 49ers lost earlier in the season. They were going through adjustment period. You look at the, the, the two stumbling blocks the, Eagle, the Eagles had. Of course, you know, Jalen Hurts wasn't under center. I believe if, if Hurts was under center, they would have won against the Saints and against Dallas down in Dallas. Uh, so, you know, th- I think they're ready. They should be. The coaching staff is on both teams is very good. The teams are well prepared. Uh, it's going to be interesting when you talk about Sirianni and Gannon versus Shanahan and D'Amico Ryan. You know, how they strategically move these chess pieces to gain an advantage in a game of inches and centimeters is going to be so critical because one slight mistake could be the difference between winning and losing in this game. Yep. Derek Gunn is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at RealDGunn, G-U-N-N. He is host of the uh, Real D Gun. I'm sorry, the Gun on One podcast. Hey, Derek, this, this one is absolutely right up your alley. Mike and I earlier were talking about the importance of team and how much these guys are dedicated to each other and how I mean, we came into it with uh, speaking of how Lane Johnson is playing through really probably horrific pain. You've, nobody c- covered this team better than you over time and you were the guy who was back there talking to them, the Brandon Gun, the Brandon Guns, jeez, the Brandon, <laughs> sorry. I'm getting they're, all they're practically brothers. Yeah, they, I mean, go. really, they can <laughs> right. share a last name. Right, and the Lane Johnsons, and, you know, the guys who've been around, the Kelseys, who've been around this team forever, who were on that last Super Bowl. What do you think it means to them to be going through this journey again and, just the opportunity to maybe get one more Super Bowl. You know, when you look at a Brandon Graham and a Jason Kelsey in particular, you know, um, they won't admit it publicly, but this could be their swan songs as a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, You know, for Jason, he has talked for three consecutive years about whether or not it's time to retire. If if this is his swan song, he would like nothing better than to go out in a blaze of glory with another trophy. Brandon Graham has said openly on our, our show Sports Take and other platforms as well, and I talk to him all the time about it. He wants to finish his career as a Philadelphia Eagle, but he also wants to play at least one more year beyond that. Is he in the Philadelphia Eagles' future? You know, for, for a defensive lineman to be 14 years in one year, that's a rarity in this game. But that tells you what this organization thinks about Brandon Graham, not only as a 
as a player, but as a locker room leader and as one of the guys they can count on for community things as well. He is a very viable, visible figure for this organization. You look at Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson is still right now arguably the best right tackle in the game. And Lane said he wants to play at least three more years. But it's so difficult to get to this point, to get this close. You know, you want to maximize this moment because you don't know if you'll ever pass this way again. You know, we thought after 17 that, hey, they would be back at least one or two more times. And lo and behold, well, here we are. There's been that gap between then and now. So this, this time is precious. So for them to have this opportunity once again, they are embracing this just as much as they embraced it in 2017. And the best part about it, guys, is they have been a wealth of information to the younger guys, to the newer guys on this team that have never been in this position in terms of telling them how to handle yourself, what we need to do every week. Don't look beyond that next opponent because that next opponent can jump up and bite you, i.e. we saw what happened with the Saints. But you have the the perfect locker room mentors to keep these guys focused on the task at hand. And that's why when, when, when I talk about Kelsey and Brandon Graham in particular, this, you know, every game they've played this season is like their Super Bowl because they don't know what the future holds for them or what decisions, in Kelsey's case, he might make after this season is all said and done. You know, Gunnar, you're putting your finger on something that I think is so vital to the success that the Eagles have experienced this season, which is a mixture, and Kelsey spoke about this the other day, a mixture of old guys and young guys. Uh, and there's something in the way that Howie Roseman created this particular roster, and you saw it in 2017 as well, where you get a, a the right combination of veterans and young guys, and it all kind of works, and they all kind of hold each other accountable in the right ways. It sounds like, you know, you really value that when you're, when you're evaluating and looking at a team. Mike, when you look at this team, the one thing that I love about this team and teams in recent years, you don't hear about a lot of outside distractions from this team. Like you look across the league and there's a player getting in trouble, whether it's a DUI, a potential domestic uh, a violence situation. Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman have told us for years they want not just quality football players but high-character guys. And they have consistently been able to get that type of person in their locker room. Um, and not only that, but once you establish a group of leader, the, uh, leaders, the Fletcher Coxes, the Jason Kelseys, the Graham, uh, Lane Johnson, and so forth, there is, a, there is a, an agenda established there. And they openly tell other guys, this is what we do here. And all these guys fall into line. And it's like passing the baton because when some of them leave, the other existing veterans who will, will assume those roles. And you, I give Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman a lot of credit for finding not only exceptional athletes, but, you know, good stand-up guys, outstanding guys, community guys as well, because, you know, that's vital in terms of we don't hear about this team finger-pointing at each other. We don't hear a lot of, about players grumbling under their breath about lack of playing time, the consistently being at a rotation. They buy into the system here. And kudos not only to them, to, to Howie and Jeffrey for the type of players, but also the type of coaches they brought in from Doug Peterson to now Nick Sirianni, guys who can talk to the players but can also come down on the players when they have to and the players don't take it personal like you see in a lot of cases around the league. So, you know, the culture has been consistent in that regard of, hey, look, this is what we expect when you walk in this locker room. And, guys, 
you know, step up and carry that baton. All right, Derek, before we let you go, people follow you on Twitter at Real D Gun and on Facebook and so on for your football expertise. But let's be honest, more so for what you're cooking. So uh, <laughs> what's on the barbecue? What's on the menu uh, today before tomorrow's game? Absolutely nothing. What? Uh, I'm, on, I'm on a honey. I'm on a honeydew list. Uh, oh. uh, here, here's the thing, Glenn. You can appreciate this. So, two of our smaller grandkids uh, are, are 18 so months cute. and five months old. I got to tell you, those, you, they're so cute. Those kids that you Thank placed. You. Yes. So, because both my oldest daughter and her husband are both RNs, they both work overnight shifts. So, in our bedroom, at the foot of one our bed, we have one crib, and now that the second one's here. My daughter ships another brand-new crib and pass, so now I have to clean out a space on wow. the other side of the bed to put another crib. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know how that goes. Well, we got just one crib at our house, and, and i got to tell you, <laughs> whenever he's there, we love it. So I, I know how much you enjoy it. Spe- speaking on behalf of parents of relatively young children everywhere, yeah. thank God for grandparents. Just thank oh, yeah. you for it's a, and being willing to it. take children off our hands for even a short period of time. And and. My my in-laws have my two sons today, and it is a blessing. Wow. It's tell not you a what, bad gig, every day. is it, Derek? No, no, you know what? It's funny. Yeah. You can't wait to be a parent, and then when the kids get older, you can't wait to be grandparents. And my four-year-old grandson, his mom and dad, they live with us, so I pick him up from preschool every day after I'm done with my show from noon to 3. So he and I have this great bond. You know, we have our little snacks. We watch whatever cartoons he wants. There's always some dinosaur. So, you know what? I love it because here's the thing, guys. You take care of them, you love them, but then you can give them back it's to exactly the right person right. at any Best. given moment. It's it's the old it's the old comedy line, Gunner. You guys are old people trying to get into heaven. That's all you are. I love it, Derek. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. Thanks, Gunner. Right, we'll talk to you soon. He's a, he's a great guy. He's the man. I under- he's the man. Yeah, he is the man. All right, let me uh, let's get a call in before the break. John and Maple Shade has been hanging. John, let's talk about the Lane versus Bosa matchup tomorrow. It's going to be great. Hey, how you doing? First time caller talking to you, Glenn. How you, how you doing, man? Thank and Mike, you. I think sure. you're doing an excellent, excellent job, man. You guys are great together. Glenn, I listened to you way back when you used to be with uh, Anthony Gargano. So I'll be yeah. 52 next month. So we'll go back quite a ways. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about Scott Scott Rowland. Uh, 100% he was a jackass. But, uh. But I don't want to waste my breath with that clown. Well, hold on. Um, let's just let's just savor the moment and say, Mike, John is correct. Okay, now let's move to your other point. Go ahead, John. You got? Yes, and and uh, with with uh, with D, D Gun said, were you spot on? And um, I almost feel like with uh, with the Bosa matchup, in, in a way, it's like with my my, my Alada, It's almost like are they disrespecting? My ladder a little bit by saying, well, where are they going to line them up when they say versus Lane? I mean, is Lane 100% healthy? Maybe not, but I'll take Lane at 80 to 90%, and I still think that he's going to do a phenomenal job and pretty much neutralize Bosa. But it's like, okay, well, if they're almost saying if they move him to my ladder side, like my ladder can't handle him. That's how, you know, that's how our Philly fans are, you know? We always yeah. got to respond and push our buttons. Yeah, here's the thing about that, John. The, the, the 49ers are going to move Bosa around. I think you're right. It's not going to be just him at lane the entire time. Uh, I would recommend uh, a piece that Jimmy Kemsky from Billy Voice did. Jimmy's been covering the Eagles for a while, and he basically broke down every single one of Bosa's 18 and a half sacks this season. And, his, and 
kind of what he concluded was very few of them, maybe two or three, were against full-time established right tackles. Often it was him blitzing through an open gap created by the way D'Amico Ryans was scheming things. So it's as much as we're going to be looking at Bosa versus Lane, it's not going to be just that. And, you know, it's again, it's going to be something we're going to need to keep our eyes on. And if you believe in what Jimmy Kemsky says, and as I said, he's been covering the team for a while, he seems to think the Eagles will have the edge there. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger at noon. We are at the Philadelphia Auto Show. Look at these people having a great time here at the convention center. Hey, if the cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, there is no better time to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of Guida's big winter sales event than right now. The great people at Guida Door and Window are extending their big winter sale through January, offering 40% off every window and door. Now, you receive 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window that also includes free high-performance low-E glass, and if you're in need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers for a limited time only, so you must act quickly. If your home needs new windows and doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Patrick saw the play clock running down, got to this one quick. Hangs on for that very last second to complete it. And it's a gain of four yards on that one for Blake Bell. And Mahomes may have been shaken up as he was taken down. Uh Grabbed that right ankle right away. And Uh in a lot of pain. Arden Key falls right on him there, yep. What we've seen is his mobility has been the deciding force in this game so far. Scrambling at that knee as well. Well, here's the news. He went out, came back in. They won the game. They're playing the Bengals, the Chiefs, of course, this weekend to see who gets to play against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Is that presumptuous? No. Uh, but joining us now, Dr. David Gelt, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint. We always love to check in with the Cooper doctors at this time. Uh, Dr. Gelt, first of all, good morning. Good morning and to you guys. How you doing? We're we're great, and part of it is the Eagles have no injuries to discuss, so we're happy about that. <laughs> but that Patrick, nice. Patrick Mahomes, as everybody saw, sustained that high ankle sprain. Looked like it was just going to be awful. He came back in. He's going to play. I guess the question, and, and I understand it's kind of general, but generally how long does it take to recover from a high ankle sprain? Yeah, so we've talked about high ankle sprains in the past, and when you say a high ankle sprain, it's always uh, you know doom and gloom just because it takes so much longer than just a regular ankle sprain that we think about if you just twist your ankle on the outside. What a high ankle sprain is is a sort of a membrane, a ligament in between the shin bone and the bone on the outside. It's a little higher up, and it really prevents mobility. You have some instability, or you can't cut and, and plant your foot, but it takes a lot longer, almost as long as a fracture usually to heal. Um, so it's surprising that he's actually, you know, playing and he's going to be going to try to play just because when you hear that it's usually you know you're out at six weeks at least so all right doctor so Andy Reid has a penchant for doing this quarterbacks get ankle injuries Donovan McNabb breaks his and he continues to play <laughs> and, yeah right remember and now that? Patrick Mahomes is going to play through a high ankle sprain he did throw four touchdowns though when the ankle he did I was there that day I remember that game so 
the concern if you're from a strategic standpoint if you're looking at this game is so much of what the Chiefs want to do on offense and end up doing on offense is predicated on Mahomes' ability to move in the pocket. What can the Chiefs do? What can their medical staff do, if anything, to mitigate the pain and the lack of mobility that Mahomes is going to experience? Is there a certain kind of boot? Are they going to encase his entire leg in a cast and hope that he can move around? What do they do? Well, surprisingly, he wasn't in a boot this whole week. You would think he would he would do that. You know, he was practicing from what you know this the pictures I saw on uh, on TV and such. So I'm surprised that he wasn't in the boot to just try to protect it and let it heal as much as it can. So it must really have been pretty mild um, in that nature. You know, I'm sure he's in a brace, uh, taped up pretty well. Um, the biggest thing for them is they're just going to try to have to protect him and just going to have to try to stay in the pocket more so he doesn't go out and you know, throw the circuit catches because he just makes a wrong turn in and that's when it can flare it up again. All right, last question on this. It's his right ankle. He's a right-handed quarterback. And Would there be any advantage or benefit or disadvantage to it being the right versus the left? What's the difference? Uh, I mean, when, it, when he steps back and, he, and then he plants, you know, that's putting all that weight on that side, but then he steps forward you know, with the other foot. So, you know, obviously his mobility is the biggest thing with him just because he runs around and then he throws the sidearms or underneath or, you know, underhand passes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, to really get into that throw, it's going to be tif- difficult, I think. All right, Doc, forget that game. Let's talk about That's the right. game. What is your pick for tomorrow? You're good at uh, this, by the way. I've noted you're, you're very accurate at this kind of thing. I try. I try. Some of it's luck, though. Um, it's going to be a really tough game. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, I think what's going to happen is Avante Max is going to come back. He's going to have a pick six. Um, wow. Uh, sometime in that. And then this is going to put pretty off on this game. But it's going to be still close. I think it's going to be uh, – 24-17, Eagles. 24-17. We'll take that, Doc, and look forward to talking to you before the Super Bowl. All right. Go, Birds. There you go. Thank there you, Dr. Gelt. Dr. David Gelt from Cooper Bone and Joint. He, by the way, whenever we have mine, I ask him for a pick. He's very good at that. Oh, good. All right. Well, that, that bodes well if you're an Eagles fan, then. Uh, let's talk to Paris in Ben Salem. Hi. Hi. Hey there. Hi, Paris. How are you today? We're great. Doing well. Yeah, turn the radio down. Yes. Go, Eagles. First of all, I want to let everyone know that the San Francisco 40 Winers have not run up onto any defense like they're getting ready to get in Philadelphia. The three-headed monsters is going to remind Purdy that he is a rookie. And then our other defense, the fans, are going to take it to them. We all know McCaffrey has run the extent of his season because he gets hurt every year. So one good hit on him, and he should be going to the tent. So they get this focus on defense. The score is going to be 31-20. 31-20. I got to let you go because somebody's listening to the radio. But we appreciate your fervor. Not rooting for injuries, but I would take that scenario. Yeah, look, they're a factor in the game. You don't want to go out trying to hurt somebody, but if one of the Eagles defensive players is going to get a clean shot on Christian McCaffrey, they're going to take it and then some, and it can only help them if, if that happens. And we appreciate that Paris, uh, somebody who Paris's friend was enjoying listening to her on the air, but you got to turn the radio off because the time is different and yeah. people get confused. So I know our producer tells you to turn it off. Make sure you do. Jim in Westchester. Jim, what's going to be the difference tomorrow? Uh, you know what? Nobody's asked about it, really talked about it yet, but special teams. Um, mm-hmm. oh, you know, everything's so close except yeah. for the quarterbacks that um, – 
you would think that that's going to give somebody an advantage depending on what kind of turnovers or plays they can come up with. But I haven't heard a lot of talk about special teams. I'm not real – as much as I'm confident about the Eagles, special teams don't exactly excite me uh, no. as far as the Eagles go. No. I, I, let's, let's go over this. We both have faith in – we all have faith in Jake Elliott, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. The punter, the, the, the current punter, right, and it's going to be this guy Kern, yeah. Not so good so far. Hopefully he doesn't get more than two or three shots at it. Yeah. If, right. If, if anything comes down to Brett Kern, the Eagles are in trouble. Big trouble. Yeah. Uh, the coverage's been okay, right, since the Green Bay game it was picked been. up. It has been. Yeah, it has okay. been generally. And the return game is uh, kind of meh. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think uh, the kids dropped any that I – He has not. Trust mind. me, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> You got a dinner not riding on Not it that I'm rooting at for, Ralph's. for him know. to drop any, but, you Yeah, know. you should lose the bet. Why? Because it would bode well for the. But I like Ralph's. Yeah, well, you're going <laughs> either way. It just depends who's paying. That's true. Uh, let's uh, sneak in Tom in Downing, or excuse me, Frank in Downingtown. Hey, t- uh, Frank. Hey, guys. How's it going? All Good, right. Frank. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Hey, we're going to talk about Scott Rowland a little bit. And I got to start out by saying I'm not a fan of his. He hated playing here. Uh, but I got into a debate with a couple friends, and they think he should be in. And here's kind of what they told me, and I want to see what both of you think. Sure. Uh, number one, he might have got in more for his defense than his offense. Yes. Yeah, that's probably true, although he was an excellent offensive player. Yeah, yeah, yeah his offensive numbers well, were good. Probably borderline great. Yes. Well, hold on, Frank. There's a big difference between good, great, and excellent. His offensive numbers – were very good. Did he ever lead the league in anything? He had a, offensively? No. 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 He had a ten year period though where if you look at that that ten years, he's a tremendously productive third baseman. Like well, OPS well, over nine hundred. For ten years. Right, that's I'm gonna good. switch it back yeah. to the defense for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um can you make the argument he was the best third baseman in his era? Defensively, yes. Yeah. Yes, he won what, seven gold gloves, so I can't argue that as much as I would like to. I, I, I'm about facts. <laughs> so yeah, like whether he was a nice guy. I'll concede. <laughs> well, the fact is he wasn't. But I'll, we all I'll agree concede. about that. Yes, <laughs> jerk face. We agree on that part. All right. Well, you know, they, I mean, yeah, they kind of stopped me in my tracks when they talked about you know the best third baseman in his era defensively, and I think you know in future Hall of Famers we might not have to judge them on their numbers, but maybe how they how they were in in their era. Well, I, and I, listen, I think that's legit, and thank you, Frank. And I didn't make a huge argument that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Right. No, you didn't. I said given the standards of the Hall of Fame currently, yeah, there's probably other guys I think would be more worthy, but I can't say he sticks out there like a sore thumb. I think he's a marginal Hall of Famer. He got in. My point is nobody in Philadelphia mm-hmm. could give a wit about that jackass getting in the Hall of Fame and they're going to, you know, they can run the, the tour buses. Like, hey, come to Cooperstown and see. Right. Yeah. And Who's look, ever running that? Don't yeah. bother. And, and I'm not arguing that he's going to get the turnout that Mike Schmidt or Richie Ashburn or, you know, Roy Halladay or Steve Carlton got when they were honored. I'm not suggesting that at all. And you're right. There's a huge segment of the population around here that does not like Roland and never will. But I say there's a small segment that says, you know what, he was a great player. Got to see him play. Take a ride up to Cooperstown, hit Omnigang Brewery, go watch him get inducted, have a good time. 
Well, you, you got me at the end there with the brewery. See, I know how to play you, man. I, love I know what's up. Oh, my God, brewery is really good. I, I know where your soft targets are. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow. We're at the Philadelphia Auto Show at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Great crowd here. Uh, come out and see all these amazing models of new cars. Coming up, we check in with the godfather, Ray Dinger, on 94 WIP. Good shape. They lead 7-0 already. It's first and 10 at the 49 or 29. That's Garner. And he can make some things happen, can't he? His second touchdown of the day. Charlie Garner from 29 yards away. You know who remembers that 1994 highlight, I bet? The guy we're going to have on next? That would be my pal and yours, Ray Dinger. Ray, that you? we're trying to play some Eagles Niners highlights, to be honest. <laughs> It's not as yeah. fer- fertile as the ground was last week with the Giants. But you remember that Charlie Garner day, don't you? Oh, never forget it. Yeah, that was uh, 94, and um, it was uh, very unexpected, <laughs> very <laughs> unexpected, uh, because the, uh, the Eagles went in there, um, and there's still a lot of questions to be asked about that team. Nobody quite knew what they were or what they could be. And we all thought we knew what the 49ers were. We knew they were really good. Uh, and you're playing them at Candlestick. Uh, I mean, everything seemed to be going uh, against the Eagles. And then they went in there and they just blew, <laughs> they just blew the 49ers out. Uh, 40 to 8. Yeah, yeah. It was Charlie Garner's first start. Uh, and uh, Charlie Garner just uh, had a, the day of days yeah. uh, and uh, just dominated. I mean, uh, it, got so, it got so bad uh, in the second half that George Seifert, who was the coach of the 49ers, pulled Steve Young out of the game. Much to um, Young's and, dismay. And, and, it, and it inspired the Eagles to go on and win the Super. Oh, no, wait. That was the 49ers. Right. That's right. And what, didn't lose after that, I believe. Right, Ray? Uh, they pretty much did not. Um, they, uh, they went, uh, they had a couple. That was really sort of a galvanizing game for the 49ers because, uh, as it turned out, when I went to NFL Films, uh, I got assigned to do the America's Game about that 49er season, about the 94 season. So I went back and went through that whole game and interviewed uh, Steve Young and Brent Jones and who was my other guy? Oh, Merton Hanks. And went back and talked to them about that game. Uh, and they all said, yeah, that was, the, that was the game that turned the whole season around because there was just a lot of stuff swirling around the team and it all just came to a head that game. Uh, and the fact that Steve Young basically flipped out on the sidelines and wanted to punch George Seifert, uh, <laughs> literally, he, he admitted that. He said that I, I wanted to go punch George Seifert when he took me out of the game. Brent Jones had to stop me. Uh, it just sort of, like the whole team kind of rallied around, Brent, uh, rallied around uh, Steve Young then, and they went on from there to, you know, get to the Super Bowl and then blow out San Diego. So it, it, all, it kind of all started, it all started that day, and uh, that was the, the single biggest uh, lopsided loss the 49ers ever suffered at Candlestick Park was that day. So we're going to see the same thing tomorrow, right, Ray? I mean, what's your read on uh, this NFC, NFC championship game? Oh, I don't think it's going to bear any resemblance to that. I don't think anybody's going to score 40 points. You might not have 40 points scored between the two teams. Uh, and I don't, think anybody's going to, I don't think anybody's going to blow out anybody. I think this is going to be a nip and tuck, tough defensive struggle. Maybe ugly, you know. I'm maybe not a whole lot of big plays, just a – uh, just two really, really good teams uh, going head to head, and I, 
you know, for that reason, I really am looking forward to it. I mean, for a guy, you know, I, I just love the I just love the inside baseball kind of stuff here. I, I really love the X's and O's. I love the strategy. You know, I love to spend a week trying to project the matchups and who's going to win here and how you're going to attack there. And this game between these two teams is just, from that standpoint, is just endlessly fascinating. All right, so let's talk about some of those specific uh, inside baseball X's and O's. Uh, Mike, open, Mike and I open the show with what we see as the key factors to the game. One of them uh, that I brought up that I'd like your sense of is there has not been, an, I don't think, an effective defense yet against Jalen Hurts in his ability to run. The Niners are terrific in most offensive statistics. One that they are not is uh, against quarterbacks who can run. Do you think they spy him with Fred Warner? How do you think they defend him? And how do you think he'll fare against that defense? Going to be a challenge. Going to be a real challenge. Um, the, you know, the Eagles just killed the Giants, uh, and largely because they knew they could attack the second level. They knew the Giants' linebackers weren't very good, uh, and so they knew that they couldn't get to the edges. They knew they couldn't run. They couldn't do the things you needed to control that offense, and they took full advantage of it. Um, you're not going to have that advantage tomorrow. Uh, Warner and Greenlaw, um, in my view, are the two best, the, the, the best pair of linebackers in the league. Uh, and that's what you're going to be up against. And they're, they're guys that have, have the range and the speed um, and the, uh, the smarts the, in terms of sniffing out plays that they can be very, very they – can, they can really be good against an Eagles kind of offense. They can really be good against an RPO kind of offense. Uh, and, and the other thing about the 49ers, and this is, this is more true of their front seven than their secondary, is, man, they, they are fast and they can tackle. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing that when when I was looking back at them this week, I was just I was just a, you know, I just just shaking my head about what a great top to bottom tackling group they are up front, and you know, in in the league, you know, in the in the league, and you and I, Glenn, you and I talked about this a lot over over the last few years. You know, the NFL is not a great tackling league anymore. Yep. I mean, you you you, t- you watch games on Sundays and you see how many missed tackles, how many broken tackles, and I understand it. I, the you know the, the the fact is teams don't practice it anymore. And you're not going to get very good at something if you don't practice it. So you combine that with the fact that you have some tremendously talented receivers and backs, and it's, you, don't find, you don't see many good tacklers, and you certainly don't see many good tackling teams. But you're going to see one tomorrow. The 49ers are really good up there. And, you know, I'm not saying the Eagles can't have success with running the RPO stuff. I mean, they can, and they're going to have to, because that's, such, you know, that's really kind of, the meat, that's kind of the meat of their offense. But it's going, to be, it's going to be a real challenge to do it against these guys because that front seven is really good. So to that end, Ray, one of the things that I think is a key tomorrow is this is going to come down to, in many cases, just individual matchups. Is, is the guy on our team better than the guy on your team? And in that regard, I think A.J. Brown takes on kind of paramount importance. He's bigger. He's stronger than the 49ers cornerbacks. He's had big games this season against teams that were billed to be similar to the 49ers, if not as good as the 49ers, the Titans, the Steelers, teams that are built on their toughness. Uh, Am I wrong here? Like, kind of how do you see, to me, a lot of this is going to fall on Hurts being able to just get rid of the ball to playmakers like Brown and maybe to a lesser extent, you know, as you pointed out, because the Niners linebackers are so good, Dallas Goddard. So how do you kind of come down on that? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good a pretty good assessment of it. I kind of see it the same way. Um, for having said having said what I said about the 49ers and their front seven being really really good, um, their secondary 
not so much. And that's kind of reflected in the numbers. I mean, they're the number one overall defense, but they're number 20 against the pass. Uh, and um, really good, really good individual players. And I certainly consider A.J. Brown one of those. Have, some of those guys have had big games against, against the 49ers. I mean, D.K. Metcalf had a, really, had a really big game against them a couple of weeks ago in the playoffs. Uh, yes, that, some, that type of receiver has had some success. Uh, against the 49ers, and I would expect that I would expect that to be kind of critical to the Eagles' chances tomorrow. Is I think that uh, you know AJ Brown is I mean he's that good of a player. I mean he's a guy, and we've seen it this year that he can take over a game. Uh, and the Eagles are going to have to ask him to have that kind of game. And I think that coming off what was clearly a frustrating day for him last week against the Giants, you know I think he's going to be. I'm not going to say make, having to make amends because they won and they advanced and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure he's going to have tremendous motivation. He's going to want to come out and not have two games like that in a row. So I think he's going to come out really ready to go. And if you look at the 49ers all year, as good as they are on defense, um, they're really good receivers like him have had some success against them. And I think the Eagles are kind of counting on that in this game. All right, let's look at the other side of the ball. Um, Brock Purdy, as everybody knows, hasn't lost a game yet. It does certainly appear that Kyle Shanahan does a great job of not requiring him to do things outside of his skill set. If you are the Eagles tomorrow, and you know the weapons that they have, and you know Purdy's inexperience, how do you attack that their offense? Well, it starts stopping the run. Uh, that, that's, at least that's my view of it. I, I think you've got to, you know, they, they have done. Shanahan has done a great job of. I don't want to say protecting this guy or hiding this guy, but, you know, managing, I guess, is probably the better word, Purdy. Uh, I mean, he knows where the strengths of his offense lie, and he's, and he's leaning on them. And he's really asked Purdy to be nothing more than kind of a, a game manager. And I know that's kind of a dirty term, and people think it's you're putting the guy down. No, I mean, you're just assessing what he is. Right. You're, just assessing, you're just assessing fairly what he is at this point in his career. Uh, and that's, and Shanahan's a good enough coach that he's been able to win with that. But I think the Eagles' first priority tomorrow is um, the 49ers are a team, especially, and this has been true even before the injury, but now, especially now with him, with him in there, uh, Purdy being in there, uh, is, is they are a run-first team. That's what they are. That's what they want to be. That's what they're going to try to be tomorrow. So they're going to come into this game, and they're going to try and run the ball. I mean, they're going to try and run it with McCaffrey. They're going to try and run it with Samuel. They're going to try and run it with Mitchell. Uh, and, if, and let's face it, I mean, the Eagles this year, some teams that have decided we're going to come in and we're going to run the ball and we're going to shorten the game and we're going to control the clock have had some success. I mean, some teams have been able to run on the Eagles this year. And I think that that's going to be the 49ers' plan of attack and then work the play-action game off of that. Now, if the Eagles can just shut that down, if the Eagles can shut down McCaffrey and they can shut down Samuel and not let them get ripping off big plays on the run, and then all of a sudden now the quarterback has to make the big throws and he's facing third and nines the whole time, then I think you've got control of the game. But first, you know, and that can be done. I mean, that can be done. I mean, Purdy has done a remarkable job considering where he's come from and what's been asked of him. But he's, he's, this is the best defense he's faced for sure. Uh, and it's certainly going to be the most hostile crowd he's ever played before. So, I mean, he's facing all of that. And if the Eagles can put the game really in his hands in the second half, then I think that they, then I think that they have a decided advantage. But they're going to have to stop the run first. So, Ray, when Purdy does throw the ball, he likes to throw into the middle of the field. And that's an area where, over the course of the season, the Eagles, it, it's been a bit of a, relative weakness for their defense if you're Jonathan Gannon 
and you've got Avante Maddox back, and you've got C.J. Gardner-Johnson back. You know, he come back last week, and you've got a couple of linebackers. Who's covering George Kittle? Or what are you doing to defend Kittle? Well, you're going to have to do some different things. Um, and, and what you said is um, that's true. And I think that's one of the area. That's one of the reasons why they've been able to win with this kid at quarterback uh, is there was a reason why he was the last pick in the draft. He's, he's a very smart kid, and he's, a, he's extremely accurate on the short to intermediate stuff. He throws that ball really well. But he just, he just doesn't have a whole lot of arm. I mean, he can't make really tough throws. He's not really good throwing it vertical. He's not really good throwing it outside the numbers to the sidelines, like that, the hard 20-yard out. He's just not throwing that ball. Uh, or if he does, he's going to hang it. But the way the 49ers' offense is built, he doesn't have to throw that ball. I mean, he's just everything. You know, his leading receivers are McCaffrey and Kittle uh, and Samuel. And they all work in that middle of the field area. So all of his throws are short to intermediate throws, which are what he throws well. So, you know, if you're the Eagles, it really works against you because the strength of your secondary really are your corners. Uh, Slay and Bradbury are very good. They, I mean, they, they lock down wide receivers. And they would this week, too, except that's not where the 49ers go. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be challenging those two guys. He's going to be working the middle of the field. And I think that one of the things that Gannon's going to have to do is he's going to have to find ways of mixing up his coverages uh, and not allowing Shanahan and, and, by extension, Purdy to know exactly who's covering who. That's where, that's where the chess match comes in. Because one of the things about Shanahan is, I mean, this has been true throughout his career, and it was true of his father before him, is they are always before the snap. They are always moving. They're always shifting. There's always changes in formation. Uh, there's somebody always moving before the snap. Uh, and you, as a, def- as a defense, he-, he wants to make you think. He wants to make you have to kind of react to what they're doing. That's one of the reasons that they're successful. And the Eagles, and you know, this falls on Jonathan Gannon. If the Eagles are going to win this game tomorrow, Jonathan Gannon might be the guy that everybody's going to be talking about because he's going to have to match wits with that offense and find answers for an offense that has an awful lot of big-time weapons. All right, Ray, we're, we're going to have to go in a minute, but i got a couple quick questions. I'm going to ask you a question. Give me a 10-second answer, okay? Okay. Um, so we, the quarterbacks tomorrow, the four left standing, Patrick Mahomes, 27, Joe Burrow, 26, Jalen Hurts, 24, Purdy, 23, uh, you know, maybe not the thing. Are we, uh, have we turned the corners at the new age of the young quarterbacks in the NFL? Yes. Okay, that's a good answer. That was less than 10 <laughs> seconds, Glenn. I know. Next question. <laughs> Scott Rowland Hall of Fame. Deserved and was he a jerk? Um, I, 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 yeah, I certainly thought he was a jerk because I had to cover him some. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, but uh, as far as um, deserved, uh, no, not, not in my view. I thought, I, thought he was, I thought he was a good to very good player. But when I watched him play, I never thought I was watching a great player. Thank and to you. me, the Hall of Fame is for great players. All right, I ask this next question for Mike. Um, the NFL is considering moving in the future conference games to neutral sites. Mike wrote a terrific column on it tomorrow. Can't imagine your thoughts. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, I, 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 would, I would hope that it doesn't happen. Uh, I understand that you have to do it for the Super Bowl because that's just such a, a mammoth event that it takes a whole year to plan for it. Um, and I, I kind of get that, and I've kind of made my peace with, with the fact that the Super Bowl will always be played in these kinds of settings. But the conference championship game, I don't want to take that, I don't want to take that away from the, of the fans in the cities. I just think that's too, poor, too important. So, come, come no, on, I am not, 
I am not. I am. I am not. I am not in favor of taking the conference championship games to neutral sites. No. Ray, Eagles. Think of it. Eagles, Cowboys at the Home Depot NFC Championship game in Indianapolis. Come on. <laughs> Are you with imagine, me? <laughs> imagine the electricity. Yeah. Right. Ugh. At least we get to eat at St. Elmo's. All right. No, I, I, I can't. I can't. No, I. I. I don't think that's going to happen. I know there are some people. Uh, among the owners that think that that's a viable uh, idea, I don't, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to get enough support to carry. I'll guarantee you, Jeffrey Lurie's not among that group. All no, right. not, nor nor should he be. Ray, a lonely nation turns its eyes to you. Lay it out for tomorrow. Um, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a really tough game. I think it's going to be a really close game. Uh, I mean, because the Forty ers don't play anything but close games. Their defense doesn't let you get that kind of control. So it's going to be a game, you know, I, I'm what, the over-under is 46. I think that's probably about right. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it came under. Uh, and I'm going to pick it to go under. Uh, I, I think the Eagles are going to win, and I'm saying 24 to 20. I would be entirely happy with that, Mike. Uh, it sounds like a completely reasonable pick to me. Let's Ray, put it that way. We have no objections whatsoever. Uh, tell Maria we appreciate your time and mm-hmm. uh, enjoy it tomorrow. We look forward to uh, watching you on the uh, postgame show on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And I look forward to doing it. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, Be well, Ray. Ray. Hey, all right, take care, guys. Thank See you, ya. pal. There you go. Take that. Twenty-four twenty. I'd live with that. Yeah, yeah. I think you a lot of people. Make we'll make picks. our picks later in the yeah. show, but yeah, I think a lot of people in the Delaware Valley would live with that, just, and then some. Given the trust that Ray has, that ten seconds of radio made a lot of people. Yeah, calmed a lot of people. Yes, down. yes, exactly. All right, let's uh, sneak in before the break. Our friend Jerry. Jerry, what's on your mind? What's happening, guys? How are you guys doing this morning? We're doing, doing great. Awesome, well, Jerry. It's, it's actually afternoon, so sorry about that. But uh, I got a couple points for you. One, my first, my first point is, is this. It's <laughs> for the Eagles game tomorrow. That's a, you're making a compelling point, case there, Jerry. My, my, my second, my second point is, is. The Eagles are, are I'm going to predict a uh, score, the same score I've been predicting is a 30-24 win uh, tomorrow. Eagles, I think, are going to start out with a bang, and then the 49ers are going to uh, jump up. Yeah. But my main thing I want to talk about, before you hang up, i got I got a what to watch for you also, but the Scott Rowland thing just behooves me. It just, it just, it just so I, – I, I don't mind that he was, he was just an a-hole – but putting him in the Hall of Fame, and my my opinion and theory of it with the MLB is that they ran out of guys because of the steroid era, right. and now they're starting to put these guys in that that truly don't belong. Scott Rowland's not a Hall of Famer, and I think you guys, if what, what I heard a little bit, you told me, I think you guys both agree on. Can you can you can you? Well, I, I think off? he's a marginal Hall of Famer. Uh, again, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would vote no, but I don't get worked up over yes. You would? I, I would probably vote no. But, again, I would vote no on a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame right. who I think a lot of people would say, oh, he's a slam dunk because he's been around a long time. And Your, and your criteria is interesting to me in which, if I understand it correctly, Scott Rowland is not a memorable figure in baseball history. And he's not, he wasn't great enough that you would put him in based on his playing career, and he wasn't memorable enough that yeah. you would put him in based on a moment or a season or a particular record that he holds. Let me give you an example. 
Johnny Vandermeer, back-to-back yeah. no-hitters, yeah. should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Nobody's ever going to break that record. Nobody's ever going to do that. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He did it. He's the only guy who did it. I'm sure I've been to the Hall of Fame now for a while, but I'm sure they have something that notes that, that yeah, honors uh, the yeah, moment. Exactly, yeah. But to you, he gets a plaque. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Roger Maris, uh, Kirk Gibson, Bobby Thompson, uh, Kurt Flood, I would put in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I would put Kurt Flood in the Hall of Fame, uh, yeah. They you know, won't. But they Kurt won't Flood do it. was a monumental figure in making baseball what it is today for uh, for free agency. Except he didn't want to come to Philadelphia. No, no. That was the whole point. Is he was didn't he want to play for the Phillies. Was he Scott Rowland before Scott Rowland, Glenn? I, I never interviewed Kurt Flood. That <laughs> one's before my time. So Bill James, the great baseball writer, used to, he probably still does, have an argument that the Hall of Fame should have tiers within it. Mm-hmm. There's the greatest of the great, right? The the unbelievable historic players in baseball history from Babe Ruth to Mike Schmidt, you know, guys like that. Right. Mariano Rivera. Then there's, like, the next tier, which is guys who get 90% get in their first year. You know he's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, the, yeah, I guess so. Would yeah. you be in favor of that? I, I would As you mind walk that. up different, I don't, again, I don't know how many floors in the Hall of Fame, but as you walk up each floor, the players get better? I wouldn't be opposed to that. I would think the players themselves would be opposed to it because you're going to get a guy who says, well, I belong in the first tier, and you voted me into the second tier uh, because that's the way Tough a lot of these guys think. I believe the answer is tough toenails. Well, maybe, but you're also going to get some people who say, if he's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer, why are you ranking him inside the Hall of Fame? Okay. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Macknow. We're at the Philly Auto Show. Now through February 5th at the uh, Pennsylvania Convention Center, over 30 indoor vehicles in motion at Camp Jeep, E-Track, and for the first time ever, the Ram Track. Stop by. You will enjoy it. We're on 94 WIP. Tenth play of the drive coming up. Third and goal from the one. Two tight ends. Who's score? They stop him again. And it's Dawkins, as was the case. And I don't think they blew the step. Mike Patterson running it back. Dawkins with the stop, and Patterson is going to take it all the way. That's a touchdown. All right, Mike Sielski, so that one's a little confusing when you listen to the audio without actually seeing it. Mm -hmm. But it was 2006. At Candlestick Park. The Niners at the one-yard line. Frank Gore could never. Eagles legend Frank Gore. Excuse me. Could, could, Could not get in the end zone. They fumble it. The broadcasters don't see it. Most of the players on the field don't see it because the Niners kind of stand around, and a fat man rumbles 98 <laughs> yards. Nothing more fun in football than a fat man touchdown. Like that Bengals one a couple of weeks ago yes. against the Ravens. That and was Mike great. Patterson, remember Mike Patterson, sure. Eagles defensive tackle, runs it 98 yards. It was, I remember that game. I covered that game for the Bucks County Courier Times with our friend Reuben Frank. Uh, only game I've ever covered at Candlestick Park. And, yeah, we were all as puzzled in the press box when that play happened right. as Kenny Albert sounded like he was yeah, on the he telecast. Going? What's he doing? Yeah. And he knew, and it was a great moment. All right, before we get back to the phones, as worked up as I am about Scott Rowland today, you are equally worked up about the possibility 
of the NFL moving conference championship games to neutral sites. I love your passion on this. Well, I, I, one of my pet peeves is people or institutions who look for solutions to problems that don't exist. And this is one of them. This is nothing but a money grab by the NFL. Anybody can see that. I know Ray said and a couple other people have said on Twitter that this isn't going to happen. This is an idea that maybe a couple owners have. Well, it's out there. And you can't tell me that if a group of NFL owners don't see a way to try to make money, that they're not going to go after it. And what bothers me about this is one of the fun things of watching and witnessing sports and sporting events is the atmosphere of the particular games. What the NFL looks like it wants to do here, at least some owners want to do, is turn these conference championship games into college bowl games or, Ooh. you know, the college semifinal games. Ugh. Go play in a neutral site. You know, sponsor names. Yeah, all of that. And, if, and you know what's worse than the college football se national semifinals? What's better than the college football national semifinals? Better. What? A Saturday afternoon in Ann Arbor. Or at the Horseshoe in Ohio State. Sure. Or at, you know, uh, Penn State. Those crowds make for more entertaining games. Putting the game, putting a football game in a dome that belongs to neither team mm. does not add to the viewing experience and enjoyment of watching the game. Never mind the idea that it takes away from the average person who wants to go watch his or her favorite team play in the championship game. Like we're going to see tomorrow at Lincoln Financial Field. It's bad in every way an idea can be bad. It's a great passion. You wrote a column about it. It's up online now at uh, Inquire.com, and it will be in the Sunday paper. Yes. Uh, let's go to Gary in Whitehall. Hello, Gary. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Great. Hi, Gary. Hey, uh, great work. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for taking my call, and uh, second of all, go Birders! <laughs> you bet. So, um, um, I'm looking at a 28-20 game. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be kind of close. I think maybe the Niners score one, you know, maybe midway, you know, midway through the fourth quarter to make it a one-score game. But I think uh, um, Steichen wraps it up just by running a four-minute offense. Love you, it. You, you feel pretty confident that the Eagles then are going to handle the 49ers. Yeah, so my, only concern is, uh, my only concern is Gannon against Shanahan. Um, if he goes to his uh, soft shell, we're in trouble. Um, Got to play aggressive like we did last week. Yeah. And I don't think we have any any concern against uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Yes, he played well. Um, I am so furious with Wilbon. I don't know how the four-letter network lets him get away with that. Right. I, and, 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 th and, Gary, thanks. It, and I'm watching. I, I don't watch ESPN hardly mm -hmm. at all. I, I think ESPN is the, is the big evil, mm -hmm. right? I really loathe it for so many reasons but i like tony kornheiser yeah and part of the interruption is a well formatted show and they bring up a lot of issues and to be honest it's like sometimes i'll get ideas for the show watching that but wilbon is just a jack wagon who will I, this is my theory on wilbon he was personal friends with donovan McNabb, or is and that's great he carried the scars that McNabb felt toward philadelphia forever and so he will use any opportunity to take a shot at, certainly the, to annoy the fan base, mm -hmm. which can include taking a shot through the, 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 the field, the team itself. 
And so when the question came up, who has an advantage at quarterback, the Eagles or the Niners, that's the easiest question when you do the matchups. Yeah. Right? When you do, like, they have the Eagle logo on one side, the Niners, and they go through the positions. That's easy. And he goes, oh, I don't think Eagles have any advantage. Purdy hasn't lost a game. Yeah. Uh, Look, there's smart old school, and then there's not so smart old school. And the not-so-smart old-school kind of approach is the one that Wilbon t- took in this regard, which is Brock Purdy is 7-0 and as a starter, therefore he is as good as Jalen Hurts, or even potentially better. And yeah. all you have to do is watch a game or two of each quarterback and see what they do during a game and how much each one's team relies on him in the offense to know that Jalen Hurts is better than Brock Purdy. Um, I think your theory is correct. I think there's something about Philadelphia that gets Wilbon's goat. And I think as he's gotten older, I thought he was a tremendous writer and columnist for the Washington Post. But as he's gotten older, he has gotten much more open about the fact that he is going to take a side or a position based on a person involved in the issue that he likes or uh, dislikes. He drops names more than yeah. anybody in the business. Yeah, he does. I he does. was playing golf with this guy. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much I'm going to take the side of this athlete or coach or figure yep. because I'm friends with them. And it's like, well, OK, but that person might be in the wrong. Amen. Nicely said. Rob in Glen Olden. Hello, Rob. Gentlemen, gentlemen how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Rob. Good, Glenn. I called you last week. I was wondering what pasta fikios you get the hoagie last week. So. Nice. You know, nice. Uh, is, that is that's a top 10 top 10 hoagie in this area. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Some hot peppers on it. It was really, really good. Um, and I mentioned, I think, a little bit. I know it's tough because you have so many callers. But I thought the Eagles could put a 40-burger on the Giants, and they almost did. And you know what? I kind of disagree with Ray a little bit. If you look at Purdy's game, the first half against Seattle, he was not very good at all. And against Dallas, if Dak wasn't Dak, inconsistent Dak, Dallas' defense played well enough to win that game. Dak was the reason they did not win that game. I know they got pressure on him and this that, but Dak made mistakes like he usually does. So the party didn't. I think his passer rating was in the low, low to mid fifties in that game. Well, so my point. Yeah, I, I think you're no good, Rob. Rob, I, I would just say your your point is well taken, particularly about that game last week. Yeah. Where, you know they only put up nineteen points against the Cowboys, and Dak threw. He didn't just throw two interceptions. He threw two interceptions. When the Cowboys were in position to score, they were sure. really damaging picks that, you know, let's be honest here. Jalen Hurts has not made those kinds of plays for 98% of this season. And, I agree. You know, I, I think I, that's, a, that's a factor tomorrow. I agree. He tends not to make that mistake. So I think Purdy has not been short the last couple of games. And I think he's prime with our defense. We can get pressure on him. Because um, I think that's why we got Slay here. That's why we got Bradbury here to single up these. You know, Debo and these other receivers they got where we can load the box, take McCaffrey away, and put it all on Purdy's shoulders. I think the Eagles are going to win 38-17. to 17. I don't even think Whoa. it's going to be Wow. Good. Rob, no I am writing, I'm, thank you. I'm writing that one down for future reference if it comes true. You are a genius. Uh, one quick thing. It was interesting after the Cowboys lost the next day, DallasCowboys.com. Um, oh, yes. Really basically which i guess is the dave spadaro over in dallas right it's Mm -hmm. wrote a piece about how jerry jones had counted on his quarterback at this moment and dak let him down and so and it was it's kind of thing that would not have been done without the approval of management and was 
very vicious toward the quarterback. And there was another uh, post or issue that came up where Micah Parsons retweeted a tweet regarding the quarterbacks who are left here in the Final Four. Oh, I didn't see this. And how young they are and the contracts that they're on. That three out of the four quarterbacks in Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and Brock Purdy are all on their rookie contracts. Yep. And Parsons retweeted that with that eyeball emoji. And, look, it sounds silly, but these things matter. They are glimpses into the way these athletes think. And that matters because he's taking a shot at a teammate's money. Right. In effect, right, because Prescott is not on it. Prescott's got the big deal. And players are like when another player would take a shot at his money. Right, but it gives you an insight into how Parsons is looking at this. Like, we paid this guy a you-know-what ton of money. And he threw two interceptions that led to us losing in the playoffs. And you and I have talked about this. Jalen Hurts being on his first contract. Mm. And you mentioned Burrow, Purdy. Purdy's Purdy, but whatever. I mean, if it was Trey Lance, he would have on his first contract. Right. Is a huge advantage to a team to have built the team around him to get there. Yeah. And this is the year. This is it. You know, we've talked about it before. The idea that the Eagles may or may not be building for greatness over time, doesn't necessarily hold true because eventually they're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts, and it gets harder to do that. you got to go in all in right now when Hurts is playing this well on his rookie deal. Coming up, you and I are going to make our picks for the game and find out what, uh, what we forgot to talk about from the Philadelphia Auto Show at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Now through February 5th, Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right, Mike Sielski, we are 26 hours and 15 minutes away from kickoff NFC championship game at Lincoln Financial Field. By the way, the uh, I'll be there tomorrow starting at 10. Let me see how I, if I get this right. 10 o'clock, I am, from 10 to noon, mm-hmm. I'm going to be with the new team of Joe Giglio and Hugh Douglas. The bird and the nerd? The bird and the nerd, <laughs> yes. I told you that off the air. I'm not sure we're supposed to use that. Oh, Joe's go. a good sport. Yeah, well, we'll find out. Uh, noon to 1, it is countdown to kickoff. I'll be with Ross Tucker, Dave Spadaro. And then 1 o'clock is the pregame show with a gang of thousands. So everybody's going to be there tomorrow, including certainly Ike Reese, uh, Elliot Shore Parks, Reuben Frank, Howard Eskin. I'm told John Ritchie's going to come by. Joe DeCamera's going to be there. And... A little bit after 1 o'clock, you want to be at the stadium early. Brian Dawkins is going to be the featured alumni. That's going to be great. All right, Mike, I hold in my hand a folded piece of paper. (laughs) Not sure you can hear that. On this piece of paper is the exact final score of tomorrow's titanic tilt between the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. Give me your score first, and then we'll find out the truth as it is. Okay, so... Like a lot of people, I think this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game. I think it's going to be similar to some of the games the Eagles played earlier this season, games against the Colts. Washington, to a certain degree, a bit of a knockdown, drag-out kind of game. That's just the way uh, the Niners want to play it. Uh, And I think the Eagles can play kind of any style that they have to to win. Uh, I think they'll be up two scores into the fourth quarter. Uh, The 49ers will score relatively late to make it close, but I think in the end you're looking at Eagles 20, 49ers 17. Eagles 20, 49ers 17. Oh, we're going to sweat that out, but open that up and you'll see what really is going to happen. Well, apparently the actual final score, as I open this up, 
is going to be, according to Mr. Macnow, Eagles 27, 49ers 17. Yes! I don't think it's going to be as close as a lot of people do. I think the Eagles are going to win it, and the key is going to be Jalen Hurts' legs. I am going to predict that Jalen Hurts runs for 100 yards tomorrow. Wow. I am. And is going to be unstoppable. Apparently that gentleman disagrees. <laughs> Go back to the Bay Area, sir. We don't need you here. Uh, he's, I think he's, he's wearing 49ers red. He is wearing red. I think Hertz is going to have a uh, is going to have a big game uh, throwing the ball. I, I think that you're right in that um, AJ Brown is going to definitely have a couple of big catches in there and a touchdown. I think the Eagles are going to get four sacks on young Brock Purdy, who's going to be a little bit rattled, throw an interception, and the Eagles will win, and Jalen Hurts will be the MVP of the game. Okay. Well, there you go. So, you've you've made, you made this small crowd around us here at yes. the Auto Show very happy. There you go, except for that guy clearly likes the Niners, but that's okay. All right, let's go back to the studio and talk to our friend Dan Wilson and find out. Dan, I don't think we possibly forgot to talk about anything today. Well, there's a few angles on the game we did not get to. Number one, did you guys know the 49ers, the only NFC franchise never to play a playoff game in Philadelphia until tomorrow? Did you also know, Dan, wow. that the 49ers are the only opponent to shut out the Eagles in the playoffs? All right, I don't need that. I did. I'm just Fort- saying. I'm just, and their I'm, only time they ever met, 14 to nothing in 1996, man, a game of candlestick. I remember that game, and there was nothing. I was pulling up Eagles-Niners highlights mm-hmm. today. Yeah, there's no there highlight in that game nothing. at all. Was that, a, that was a Detmer game? That was a tie Detmer yeah. game. Ugh, that yeah. was, there was nothing there. So this is their first time here, so they'll, you know, they'll, they'll get lost. They don't know what they're doing. Exactly right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, here's an angle. Sirianni was actually asked about this yesterday. We spent plenty of time discussing what they should do in the opening coin toss. We've yet to see an overtime game in these playoffs. Of course, the new rule this year, both teams guaranteed a possession regardless of a touchdown. Would you put any thought at all into deferring an overtime? No, take the ball. Let's think, let's think this out. I hadn't thought about that, and and you, you're going to give us his answer after we give you ours. Well, he gave a very political, like you, you gauge it kind of thing. He didn't really give uh, an answer. Yeah, he does that too much these days. Okay, so I take the ball. If you don't take the ball and they score a touchdown, you lose. No, no, no. You get no, the ball. You, you get. Oh, you, you get guaranteed. The ball. Oh, that's right. You guaranteed the ball. the ball back. That's right. It's the new rule. Excuse me. I'm going by the old rule. Yeah, take the ball. Home crowd, shove it down their throat. Same principle. I'm with Mike. Okay. Yeah, if it gets to that. Yeah. Ooh, oof. Sorry, yeah, we, no, we'll, we, we'll we be on pins and needles if it gets there. Yeah, we disagreed know. a fair amount today. Yeah, not on that one. I'm with no. you. And okay, then last thing, I mean, we spent plenty of time talking about the Eagles today, but kind of flying under the radar, uh, Sixers-Nuggets, pretty big game at the Wells Fargo Center today, ABC 3 p.m., and Sixers 10-2 and two since the calendar flipped to January. have won six in a row. Harden and Embiid look great. I get there's, you know, some skepticism of, like, let's just see it in the playoffs, but as far as the regular season concerned, like, they look pretty good. They do. Uh, I'm one of those skeptics. Show me come the spring. Show me in the spring. I am too. I mean, they, they can finish whatever, 60 and 22 or 65 and 17. And I am still going to say, you know what? In the second round of the playoffs, show me you can win then. I'll believe it after that. One other thing, I'll just say Ben Simmons was in town the other night. He was. And for the first time that he actually played, it got lost in this week and everything else that went on. Mm hmm. But what was fascinating to me was at the end of the game, he was on the bench Yes. because he can't score, because he doesn't shoot. He has become a role player. 
that Doris Burke referred to him explicitly as a role player That's on the ESPN broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. And what was more interesting to me, Glenn, was that Jacques Vaughn, the Nets coach, was asked the next day or the day after about Simmons and about the team in general. And he made a veiled reference to guys who want to be out there, I think. And, want, and, and when asked about Simmons, kind of rolled his eyes. Yep. So the Nets are finding out what we in Philadelphia already know about Ben Simmons. Yeah, that's right. That's what they got, and that's what we had, and that was it. And by the way, I love that Philadelphia fans gave him the business. Mm-hmm. There is a narrative that, like, oh, let it go. It's in the past. No. No, not, not with this guy. For the rest of his – I had the rolling rant earlier. Mm-hmm. For the rest of his career, Ben Simmons should get a hard time when he sets foot in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Look – to me, it's not even a, a comparison. Scott Rowland played well for the Phillies. You can think he's a jerk, and he may very well have been. I didn't know him back then. I'll take your word for it. You heard but, Ray. Ray's a pretty yeah. easygoing guy. Well, uh, there's, there's evil Ray, too. You know, okay. Maybe that was evil Ray. But Roy. the point being, however you felt about Scott Rowland, you couldn't question what he did on the field. He played hard. He was a productive player, a terrific player, apparently a Hall of Fame player. Can't say that about Ben Simmons no. at all in no. any regard. No, but feel free to give them the business. All right, we both predict an Eagles win tomorrow. You've been a very close nail-biter of a game. I think it's going to be a little easier than people think. Meanwhile, it's going to be a great time at the uh, stadium. You're going to be writing columns off of this, are you? I will be. I have the uh, A1 front-page column coming off of the game tomorrow, win or lose. I like that confidence. Uh, I've already been assigned it. There's no confidence. Wait, they already assigned the page one column? Yeah. Yes. They didn't used to do that in my day. Well, you had to things, earn have, it back things then. have changed in the cutting-edge business of newspapers, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have. Anyway, I will see you, well, I'll see you at the game, but you and I will be together uh, next Saturday. I'll be on the air tomorrow. I want to thank uh, Kyle Quinn here, Dan Wilson back in the studio, Dave Breitmeyer, Taz. Great job by everybody. Really appreciate it. And we enjoy their time at the Auto Show, which runs through February 5th here at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. I mean, we are looking at it, just hundreds of spectacular It's amazing cars. how many people are here today. Yeah, everybody too. having a great time. Stay tuned. Go Birds Radio with James and Elliot coming up right here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.